0: Camera's moving. All right, remote again. We're shaking. What's going on? You can go ahead. Go ahead, Lisa. All right, we're here. Free smoke every single Friday. Uh, are you? Going, are you like DJ J Star or are you just J Star? DJ J Star. Okay. Do we, do we got we got my theme music running. Okay. 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 Listen, y'all. Today we are going to have a power, powerful, powerful conversation around uh, wealth building wealth creation and I think it's just important that we start to think wealth for a very very long time I never really thought about wealth I just thought about how can I make money and I thought that a certain amount of money would make me wealthy namely a hundred thousand dollars now this is ten years ago when I had the desire to make a hundred thousand dollars but I did think that that hundred thousand would make me wealthy. I'd say things like, I don't wanna be rich, I wanna be wealthy, because when I make (laughs) $100,000, I will be wealthy. And I thought wealth was this picture of a really big house and a really nice car, a really fast one, and being able to have money to do the things that I wanted to do. And I think some of that is partially true, but um, I was just confusing the idea of making money in wealth. And I've learned a lot about it and I'm learning that wealth is not built in lump sums just and I don't know. I don't know if I'm wealthy at this point in my life right now but I'm learning from uh, the three guests that we have today but what my, what I gather what I gather is that uh, that wealth is not built in lump sums. It's almost like, um, we want money to come fast and in abundance, but wealth, but wealth is built slowly with consistently. consistency. Now, I don't think it takes 30 years slow, but what I do understand is the more steps in between you and getting a paycheck moves you closer to wealth. In my opinion, we'll have this conversation. So for instance, if I have a book and I can make the sale directly to the customer of the book, I can make a lot of money, but I can't be wealthy. But when you're buying a house, it's not like you walk up to the house and you give the money and they give you the house. There are some steps in between. Am I right? There's some steps in between, like there's some qualifications. And I think true wealth is designed that way because most people aren't gonna go through the steps. You can set up a website, have a product, runs some ads and it goes direct to the customer, the customer pays and it goes in your bank account. There's not many steps. You can make a lot of money that way. You can get rich that way. You can get a really nice house and a really fast car that way. But the faster it comes, the faster it goes is what I'm experiencing. So there are some steps. There are some people who are knocked out of the grant writing game. I talked to a grant writer and the grant writer was saying that there's a lot of steps in between writing the grant and like there's a bunch of stuff that they want you to do before you actually approve the grant. I'm like, yo, why do they make it so tough? They said to keep the people out that aren't gonna do the work. If there are, yo, she said, I believe they add random pointless steps in this process of getting a $100 million grant to see if you are the type of person that will go through the steps to get the grant. The bigger the money is, the more steps there are to get it. And it's designed that way because not everybody's going to get this. If you don't go through the steps, you're not the person that can handle it or deserves it. So when I say wealth is built slowly, again, I'm not saying 30 years slowly. But it's not as immediate. But people go to the immediate money because it's just easier and it's faster. There's not a whole lot of steps in the stock market to build out To like build wealth in the stock market, right? You put the money in and there's some things that have to happen. Like the company has to go through a good restructuring. You got to wait for annual reports to come out. So people are building wealth through the stock market, but it's not super fast and touch and go. I'm just saying there is a process, a maturation process. You've got to mature to become wealthy. So we have to restructure the way what we're thinking about wealth accumulation and the things that we do on a regular basis. Ask yourself, are there many steps between me and my true goal? If there's not, if you, I, I believe you can make your first 100,000, 300,000 dollars with no team, all by yourself, pure hustle. You go out there, grind, you go get the money. I believe you can make a few hundred thousand, just like that. But when you start building a company, you start building a team, there's some, there's some steps. It's not just, I, I, I hire a bunch of people and they go execute. No, you gotta hire, they do some weird stuff. You gotta say, hey, that was weird. Don't do that like that. And then you gotta go through the training process of figuring out how you can get someone to adopt your thinking, adopt your mindset, adopt your... S- there's a process here. So um, I am having patience with my wealth dirty. And I think uh, the lack of patience is keeping a lot of us from wealth because it just takes too long or there's just too many steps. There's too much stuff I have to do to go get it. Why can't I just go get the money? which is why I'm starting to lean closer into real estate for the last few years. Shouts out to my partner Terika. Lynn Smith, female real estate guru is here today. Uh, She's helped me build up my portfolio of almost 100 units and I'm starting to build wealth. But I was thinking, why would I put up $150,000 to make make $1,000 a month? It just doesn't make sense to me. Coming from a digital perspective. Because I could take one hundred fifty thousand, and I could turn that into three hundred thousand. You buy one hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of products, and you sell them for three hundred thousand. It's going to take work ethic. But I'm like, I don't understand. I don't want to. I don't want to put my money in here. And this is like, well, you don't need one hundred fifty thousand. You can put thirty thousand. I'm like, still, why would I put up thirty thousand to make a thousand dollars a month? And I'm not even making a whole thousand. I don't. I don't get it. It just didn't make sense to me. But now it's all making sense because the money is coming in smaller portions, but it's more solid. Meaning I was able to do one thing one time and it will continue to pay me. But if you wanna make a whole lot of money fast, you gotta do one thing a million times. And if you want that money to keep coming, you gotta do that one thing a million more times to duplicate those results. So that is my monologue for today. We really need to get into the conversation because I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to building wealth. But these people do. So, uh, I want to introduce our esteemed guest. Hey, drop, drop the. Uh, I like the little broken house emoji. Yeah, I cracked. Drop, drop. You didn't like it at first. No, I don't. But I let a crack house. Yeah, out. the little drop, drop your favorite real estate emoji if you plan on building wealth through real estate. If you plan on specifically building wealth through real estate, and this whole conversation won't just be about real estate, it's gonna be about how you can accumulate wealth. So if you are tapped in, I need you to put the real estate house emoji, whatever your favorite one is, because I need to know that y'all are tapped in and y'all checking us out. We got 75 people in here real early today. Okay, this is good, I'm excited about this. So um, I'm gonna start uh, to the right of me. Kenneth is a mortgage, uh, you're a lender, mm-hmm. mortgage lender. Mortgage lender or lender? How do you call it? What commercial call it? mortgage uh, brokerage firm slash lender. Mm-hmm. Commercial mortgage, mortgage, mortgage.
1: brokerage mm-hmm.
0: brokerage. See, there's a bunch of steps in there, which means he's wealthy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> he's wealth. So yeah. tell us what you do. Exactly.
1: So very simply, we're a commercial uh, lending group. We finance residential as well as commercial real estate projects all over the country. Uh, on the residential side, we'll finance renovation loans, new construction loans. We'll also finance ground-up developments as well as DSCR or rental loans. On the commercial side, we will finance all four verticals of commercial real estate, office, retail, multifamily, as well as industrial. Uh, and we'll also look at to, uh, hospitality. So we only work with investors. We do not work with owner-occupants in any way, form, or fashion. Why not? Um, Well, number one, we're not legally permitted to. Um, we, um, yeah, we're, we, and you know, there was a law that was passed back in 2010 called Dodd Frank that prohibits groups like ours to lend monies to individuals who plan on living in a property. So we want to be able to kind of, we we can only work with investors. And we, we love working with investors because, you know, investors, they have to kind of take the emotion out. We have to really focus on the math. We have to focus on the ROI. We have to focus on the metrics to make the deal work. So we're taking a lot of that emotion out. And so to our firm, with our firm, it just works out really well, being able to work with those investors. Um, you know, some point we may work with owner occupants. Doesn't seem like that anytime in the near future, though.
0: Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, you started this company, started Mm -hmm. lending money to people out of your own pocket first, right? That's correct. Mm -hmm. Tell us that story.
1: Yeah, so we started back in 2015. Um, uh, I'm a recovering investment banker. So uh, we started to lend monies to folks who needed financing for uh, residential uh, renovation loans and things of that sort. Someone who needed to finance a property that they owned that was in many cases dilapidated, in many cases just need the renovations. We were able to just finance the project. And then, of course, we put a first trustee on the deal. And then we came back, we realized that, hey, look, you know what, we can really scale this once we added institutional partners. Mm-hmm. And so once we started to add those institutional partners, we could just go and we took us to another level. Um, you know, on, with, with the addition of those institutional partners, when, how I define institutional partners, folks like family offices, pri- private equity firms, um, hedge funds, in addition to debt funds, uh, insurance companies, pension funds, when we started to add those folks into kind of our Rolodex or our team of folks that we finance deals out of, things just got a lot better. So Mm -hmm. I always, you know, private lenders, commercial lenders, they'll start off, in many cases, using their own liquidity. But, you know, you can really, really scale once you start to understand uh, how to work with institutions, because that's where everyone really wants to get to.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I want to talk. I want to talk about this uh, deal real quick. I'm I'm a lender.
1: Okay. There you a, go. First off, congrats by an, the way. Congrats oh, by you. the way.
0: I wanted Atlanta where the deal was. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine needed money for a real estate deal. Terika, um, <laughs> she's wild. Because I did all my real <laughs> estate deal to her, but uh, I gave them some money. And it took a little while for them to pay me back. Cause mm-hmm. they was like, yo, by this time I'm going to pay you back. And you know, we'll need, I need you to buy this land for this deal. Mm-hmm. Long story short, they wound up giving me 90,000 back okay. out of my 110. But they said, well, we owe you 40,000 more, mm-hmm. but we will pay you $500 a month on your 40,000 until you pay it. Till, like interest only pretty much. Good. So, I'm a lender. I get my forty thousand is at work right now. Congrats! Making fifty five hundred dollars a month, but also I got a deal that's closing next week mm-hmm. in New Jersey, and I actually talked to all three of y'all about these re- these uh, these blue states. Y'all not feeling it? We'll talk about that.
2: But I
0: so they needed a, they need one hundred twenty five thousand. The property's worth three hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. They're putting up a hundred thousand, and I'll get fourteen percent per month on my money, which is about four. Almost fifteen hundred, so I'll be able to make two thousand dollars a month, interest only, off of one hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars,
1: and I feel really good about that. You should, and this is the reason why we're in lending. Yes, <laughs>
0: yes, uh, and 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 it is it, it's in New Jersey, which is a blue state. Again, we'll talk about that. But my attorney advised me to get a deed in lieu because it could take two years to, if anything happens. It could take two years to foreclose on that thing. And it's just, it's a wild situation up there. So I'm learning this process. So we too are building wealth. Yes. Thank you very much. All right. Um, let's go. Ladies next, man. Female real estate guru. T, what's up? What's up? Where what I look at? Um, me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a real estate investor, of course. I guess introduce yourself and what you do.
3: Hey guys, I'm Tarika Lynn Smith, real estate developer and real estate coach. Um, I help you buy real estate and um, invest. Good,
0: That's
3: is that it T? I mean, that's what I feel like saying today, that's good though. <laughs> okay, yeah, for
0: sure. Tell a little bit of your story, and how you got started um, and where you are now.
3: Yeah, it's a funny story. So I got into real estate um, Kind of like on accident, to be honest with you, because um, right before Hurricane Katrina, I was selling magazines door to door and I would knock on these people doors and ask them what they do for a living and go figure. They're all in real estate. And at this time, I had no clue what real estate meant. I didn't even know what real estate was, but um after hurricane katrina being trapped in the city for three days um and asking god if you get me out this situation i'm not going to rely on the government anymore and i went on to real estate school shortly after hurricane katrina got my real estate license became a real estate agent became a real estate builder became a real estate um investor and now i'm a developer
0: i love it i love it uh how many units um,
3: yeah,
0: I'm yeah. almost at 1,000. Almost at
3: 1,000?
0: Yeah, I'm trying to get up thousand. to Eddie, you know what I'm saying? Awesome. Eddie, Mr. Benoit. Listen, first off, I, I think me and Steve connected us. And at this point, I'm super excited about real estate. And I'm like, yeah, man, Steve, connect me with this guy named Eddie Benoit? They're like, of the Benoit Group? <laughs> I said, maybe, I don't know. But your name rings bells in Atlanta. So I guess you can introduce yourself, my brother.
4: All right. It's great being here this morning. Uh, my name's Eddie Benoit, and I am the uh, founder and CEO of the Benoit Group. But I'm also the talk show host yes, and also creator of Shape the Deal, it's on YouTube, where we talk about the real estate development process. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, the company is really a commercial estate development company where we're vertically integrated. So we develop, own, and manage our own portfolio of assets throughout the Southeast, but also in the Midwest. Um, so we have our own development company, property management, construction management, and advisory. So all under one roof. How long have you been doing it? 32 years now.
0: 32 years. 32 years. What is the biggest deal you've worked on?
4: The biggest deal I've worked on? I think I'm actually working on the biggest deal right now. It changes every year. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, next year, it's probably a different deal. Yeah. But right now, we're working on a really cool deal here in Atlanta, which is makes it really awesome because um, it's in an area that's been overlooked. Underprivileged, but also has a lot of historic significance. Right, the west side is called Boeing Homes, uh-huh. the old uh-huh. Boeing Home site. It's a 74-acre site that was um, demolished by Atlanta Housing um, Authority over I mean back in 2010, and the site had been sitting vacant. and um, hold on,
0: so they, they took, they tore down Boeing homes. That's yeah. a, that, was like a, that was like
4: a ghetto. Yeah, exactly. Project Housing Yeah, County. Project right. Housing, correct. Yeah. Yes, Project Housing. And, um, they but it wasn't on 74 acres. It's on 74 acres. Really? Yes. It's a whole stretch of land. It's massive. Mm. So um, they did a competitive RFP, and we partnered with another- What is competitive RFP? Group. It's an RFP project, Request for Proposals, okay. where the housing authority is obligated to go through a, a, an RFP process in order to solicit qualified and eligible developers that can actually do a project of this scale. Yeah. I mean, not only from experience standpoint, but also of, um, they need to have the financial worth all you know, yeah. to do it too. But there was something very unique about this project is the fact that it was up for a competitive award with HUD, which for Choice Neighborhood Implementation Grant Mm. And that is huge. It's very competitive throughout the, the country, and we actually, us and our partner out of um, St. Louis, McCormick Baron um, Salazar, we brought them in um, to partner with us on this deal, and uh, we were actually, you know, successful. We were one of the eight projects that were selected in the country um, this year for you wanted eight to what? Eight projects that were selected. So
0: you have a proposal. So you have to put together. You buy the land first, but you have to, before you buy the land, you have to submit what you're going to do with the land
4: first. No, it's a little different. First of all, we have to go through the competitive RFP where the housing authority selected a developer amongst probably 10 developers that submitted. Mm. Okay? You went through a written proposal, they reviewed it, then you went through a presentation, oral presentation. From there, they scored you, and they actually um, have outside consultants that review the applica- the uh, proposal. And so a, co- a developer is selected. We were the developer that was selected. Once that developer is selected and I'm approved s- by sorry, the I'm sorry, Eddie,
0: real quick. So I'm trying to understand this in my head because I'm thinking the 74 Acres is owned by
4: somebody. It's owned by the Housing Authority. Which is the city. No, it's not the city. The Housing Authority is called, it's Public Housing Authority. It really falls under The department, you know, uh, HUD. No one's um, ever owned it? A person? Person, never no. I don't know, way back, maybe 200 plus years ago, but (laughs) the Housing Authority, you know, owned the land. Correct. I thought everybody
0: owned land. I mean, like, all land was owned by somebody. Well, Well, it is. It's actually
4: owned by a, a, you know, the the Housing Authority, which is a non, you know, for-profit organization. So they didn't buy it
0: from nobody.
4: No, they didn't buy from anybody. I mean, this... But actually, HUD really governs what happens with that land so under this, the auspices of the, the housing authority.
0: Okay. And, hey, YouTube, hopefully some of y'all as slow as me, okay? It's am right. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm doing this for y'all, okay? So there are plots of land that the government has just owned or not the... Not the government.
4: Well... In this case, you have the housing authority owns land. No different than the city owns land. Right. No different than Atlanta Public School owns land. The county owns land. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these different municipalities, you know, own, can own land. And that land, sometimes, you know, they purchased it outright from an individual. Or it's land that was already part of their land banking inventory that, they inherit, that the organization inherited. Got it. Okay. Or sometimes land is actually donated to them, too. Got it. Like somebody passed away and they have land and they may say, look, I want this parcel, these 10 acres to go to Atlanta public schools. I see. Okay. Okay. Or I want this house that sits on 20 acres to go to Atlanta public schools. Or I want it to go to the development authority or to the county or to the housing authority for them to further um, affordable housing development. Got it. Okay.
0: Does it work like that in Louisiana?
3: Yeah, it's
0: the same across the board. It's a federal program. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when Ball Homes was there, all those people that was paying that rent, that was just going to the Atlanta Housing
4: Authority? Yeah, well, the the people who were living there, they were very low-income residents. So most of them were under subsidized housing. Um, And so basically they um, were relocated to other properties because the property had reached physical obsolescence. Got it. And it wasn't a safe and you know, healthy environment to live in. And so therefore, they actually uh, earmarked you know certain funds. Got it. To okay. go through a demolition and remediation of the site. But it just sat there vacant um, until they were able to bring in a developer like us.
0: Got it. Okay. But so the like other
4: grant that I'm talking about is that once we were selected as the developer, the chosen developer, we now had to put in another application mm-hmm. to HUD mm-hmm. headquarters out of DC to compete for this Choice Neighborhood Implementation Grant. And so many housing authorities, you know, throughout the country are competing for these, this, this type of Choice Neighborhood Implementation Grant after they've been given a planning, you know, grant in order to, you know, submit for that application. But we were one of the eight that were selected um, this year, That's so we received a forty million dollar yeah. grant from HUD um, to uh, move forward. You know with that project, but I'll
0: give you forty million dollars to build the project.
4: Well, that forty million sounds big, but the reality is, is that that forty million allowed us to unlock another eighty eight million mm-hmm. in funds that were coming from the Atlanta Housing Authority, the City of Atlanta, and Invest Atlanta, which is the Development Authority. So that $40 million really leveraged up to $128 million. So to go back to your question, how big is the project? The biggest project, as of last year, we pretty much um, projected, estimated that this project total build-out over 10 years will be about you know, $750 million. But where <laughs> construction prices are right now, I think by the time we're done, it'll be over billion. Got a billion dollars.
0: A billion-dollar deal? Yeah,
4: most likely, get close to
0: it if not clip it yes were you about to say something
3: no that's huge i mean like that shouldn't go over people's head like those grants are extremely hard to get and they're they're pretty select let me just say that like and (laughs) Mm -hmm. so for you to be awarded that that is huge so yeah
0: incredible okay all right we're about to we're about to take it down a level okay (laughs) I like because my Yeah, yeah, because my mind it is. It's sexy to me. Because yeah. uh, I'm me, thinking, um, so I'm thinking, like the first am <laughs> yes. about Talking dirty. Yes, I'm about to build wealth, and my idea of building wealth is buying a house.
2: <laughs>
0: you know what I mean? 500000 you might need to put 20% down. 100000 you try to cash flow or you buy the land. But there's money that uh, that I guess a lot of people don't understand that is in real estate. So you don't have to have a billion dollars to get into a billion dollar deal. Correct, yeah. This is incredible. Okay, all right. Guys, if you want to take it down another level, just down another level in the chat real quick. We can go up there though. We're going to get there. Let me just have this conversation for the panel. Do you believe, let me just get a, a short answer. Do you believe that real estate is the best way to build
1: wealth? Um, I personally do. And the reason for that is because I see it every day. Um, you know, it's, it's very rare. There aren't a lot of things that allow you to get into a project with not a lot of cash, not a lot of experience, and be able to literally transform your life in six months. I see it quite a bit. And when we've been working with investors for, since 2015, we've seen them literally transform their lives after doing maybe one single family fix and flip or buying, doing one new construction project. That has changed their lives, not just monetarily, but it also has changed their lives because it's given them another skill set that they can use for the rest of their lives. And real estate is something you can keep building upon, right? Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's gonna, a lot of people will start off you know, just doing residential real estate. Then they can segue into maybe buying some multifamily. Then they've decided to get bigger. They can build commercial real estate, but there's building blocks towards that that allow you to keep doing that. Mm-hmm. And the thing about real estate, and many, this is what I love about real estate, there's a collaboration aspect or component here, you know, when we're going through school and we're going to, we're taking classes in high school or college, whatever, you know, education level you want to go to uh, collaborating is, and in some cases, many cases is frowned upon. In real estate, yeah. as Eddie so eloquently stated, he partnered with, he co-developed this project with another group. And so that's what allows for you to do. So to get involved with other folks, to allow you to build your wealth and keep going. Um, so I am partial. I am biased. I think everybody on this panel will be a little biased. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I think if done correctly, if if you have the right team and if you have the right projections and forecasts, and if you're just consistent, you know, you can't stop. One yeah. of the things we see with a lot of investors is they'll start investing and they'll you know, they won't get out of a project. They they will. Things will get hard and they decide or they made the decision. This is just not for me, which is completely like it's not going to be for everybody, but I believe that consistency and just keep going and understand, keep building your team, keep doing that. Yes. So I am very, very optimistic and I do believe and I know I'm a little biased that real estate is the best way to create wealth for you and your family.
0: I love it. Mm-hmm. T, mm. are we done? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. T, Yes. is real estate the best way to build wealth?
3: I think it's one of the most easiest industries for people to get into to build well. Really? Easy? Yes, mm-hmm. I do. I believe that it's extremely easy um, in regards to, you know, different access, point, access points. So there's people who come in as wholesalers. There's people that come in as fix and flippers. You know, um, you have people such as me and Eddie that does development. You got Kenneth that does financing all this is still real estate right um the funny part is he owned as many bricks as probably we own because he got first lien position on Mm. a lot of these (laughs) you know so um um investing in real estate took me from being homeless up under a bridge to being who i am today so Mm. i absolutely believe real estate um you know um is one of the best decisions i've ever done for sure
0: okay
4: Addie, I, I know this answer. <laughs> Actually, I would add one thing to it. I would say that real estate is one of the best industries to learn and build wealth. And the reason why I add learn to it is because um, it helps you figure out how to prioritize your funds, the monies that you have. Just like you mentioned, you know, initially you were just buying units, but now you're a lender, yeah. Right you realize the power of actually getting interest on your money and also having first lien position you know on the property which means you still own the real estate but yet you're not operating the real estate yeah and even if they pay you half of your money back now you have you know all this you have all this equity you could either fire sell it or just take over and you just add it to your portfolio mm-hmm. all right so you over the past you know, couple of years, I've watched you just be a student of the industry, all right? So you've been learning. You have a totally different thought process for sure than what it was before as opposed to, hey, can I just buy and flip? It's not only that. You want to understand how to diversify your money, and a lot of that is not just sitting down with your investment banker or whomever handles your, your financial advisor once or twice a year, Talk about where you want to, you know, put your stocks and things like that. No, it's something that you do on a daily basis. Yeah. And it is, I believe it is a lot easier. It is not a high barrier of entry for people to get into the real estate, you know, yeah. business. But it is a, a, it's a learning process. For sure, for you sure. Know, it's not a get rich quick, you know, scheme. Yeah. That's one thing I can tell you. Yeah. If you for come sure. in it to actually yep. just get yep. paid immediately, um, then Um, that's not the business to get in. Yeah. Okay. Um, But I think it is, you look at most wealthy, you know, people, and I'm talking about people who are even billionaires. You look at their balance sheet, their portfolio of real estate, um, income producing properties is pretty high. Yeah, for sure.
0: I want to, let's, let's, let's jump into some analysis Big deal at checkout and get your tickets now. Don't miss out on the opportunity to take your podcast to new heights, take your brand to new heights, take your business to new heights with this unprecedented offer. Okay. I'll see you at the summit. and Don't forget to use promo code. Big deal. real quick. Uh, Nella, cause we about to talk about wealth and really like the mindset behind it, but uh, let's jump into our announcements. Miss Nella. What's up?
5: Hey, hey y'all. First and foremost, welcome to Free Smoke. If you are new here, make sure you go ahead, hit that subscribe button, and hit that like button, share this with a couple of friends, and drop a cracked house. If you <gasps> are ready <laughs> or just a regular house, whichever one you choose, if you are ready to go ahead and buy real estate in 2024, because we got some heavy hitters in the building today and they going to give you all all the free smoke. OK, but before we get back to it, I have to give you some house rules. First and foremost, if you are loving the information that is coming out from them today, make sure you drop a super chat as well. Guys, we already kicking it off First and foremost, the real Elisa Applewhite is in the building today. She's in the building today, and she's already kicking it off, y'all. She dropped two so far. (laughs) That's just a start for her, okay? And of course, we have the. um, We also have the Let's Kids Play podcast dropping super chat. So thank you so much. We greatly appreciate y'all. This is how you don't just support us as a podcast, but you support the children because Dave is taking his friends as you can see, his rich friends, around to kids so they can learn the game, okay? And they can grow up ready to be prepared to become wealthy. So help the next generation by dropping those super chats and let's get right back to it. Dave, it's on you.
0: Yeah, let's do this, let's do that. Zell, um, so check your, your text. All right, so I wanna know how, how do we defining wealth or what is some of the mindset behind actually becoming wealth because we hear it we hear it thrown around a lot but yeah. um see i'm, I'm having you lead off with this when you start thinking about building wealth yep what are some of the conversations that you have with yourself in your mind so
3: wealth for me is time you know um it's my most valuable asset and you know being a mother and a wife and and full-time ministry full-time coaching and everything else that i'm doing i am literally investing, um, as much as I can to get as much time as I possibly can. And I feel like I can do a lot more and help a lot more people, um, being in, you know, the position that I'm in. So for me, wealth building is not just financial, like that's just a part of it. Like that's a part of the hard work that I've put in over the years, you know, um, being able to retire my best friends and we all live this journey together um, as influencers and, you know, bring our children with us to travel around the world. You know, all of that to me is wealth. It's not so much of what I have in a bank account. Sure, you know, I'm, I'm financially free, but you can be financially free and still not have wealth. You know, I'm wealthy in my marriage. I've been married 19 years. I got a man that loves me unconditionally. That's wealth. You know, my children are in love with me and I'm in love with my children. And I'm excited about, you know, being able to have the time with my grandchildren and not having to worry about, you know, the things I had to worry about growing up. As their age right now. So, you know, I think for me, wealth is all about time. And I'm always focused on how much income can I buy to get as much time as I possibly can back. And that's my main reason for investing. Um, And aside from that, you know, wealth building, we talk about it a lot. And I think a lot of people. Um, associated with just finances, you know, but when you look at the whole thing, you can have a whole lot of money in your bank account and still not have peace. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if that's you, then you got to ask yourself, you know, what is fulfilling you? You know, um, because obviously money is not what's fulfilling you. Like you said, you thought a hundred thousand dollars was going to make you rich and you get to this point in your life and you're like yo that's a you know a drop in a bucket you know um so for me it's um valuing the time that I have I know I'm not here forever and I know tomorrow is not guaranteed so as much time as I can possibly spend with my loved ones retiring my husband and my best friends and being able to do life with them on a daily basis and and choosing if I want to get up and work or not you know um I'm the gender age of um gentle age of 38 and I'm I could retire. That feels good to me.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm 39. Yeah. You're going to get there. I'm, <laughs> I'm high okay? <laughs> uh, Kenneth, when we start thinking about wealth,
1: how are you defining it? I think Tarek has said it best, but I'll add freedom as well. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So obviously we do this because we want to get back our time. We want to reclaim our time. We don't have to work as hard, as work as often as we need to, but also just to be able to have the freedom that we need to, to do what we want, with whom we want, when we want. And yeah. so when you're looking at creating wealth, granted, yeah, definitely finances is, is one thing that's that's a major component of it, but also just having the freedom to do what you want, when you want, who you want, and also to be able to help other people and grow and help those folks as well. So one of the things, and we, we this was really kind of, um, uh, when people come to us, when the investors come to us. Granted, they are looking for us or they're coming to us to obtain some type of financing for some type of real estate project. That's like the surface level what they're coming to us for. What they're really coming to us for is to really help them create wealth. Mm -hmm. It's really to help them buy that property, buy that apartment complex, buy that uh, office building to allow them to have the wealth to not just for the financial resources, but also to be able to send their kids to better schools, to be able to have access to better healthcare, yeah. to be able to go to the restaurant and vacation where they want to go to. So those are the things that I talk about, right? That really speaks to me when it comes to, to wealth and what wealth is because, you know, wealth looks different depending on what part of the country, even what part of mm-hmm. the world you're in. Mm-hmm. You know, people will say poverty looks, what does poverty look like? If you're <laughs> in, let's say Mumbai, India, you know, there are some yeah. folks who will say poverty, um, in the United States, poverty could be seen as someone who has a, a, a smartphone with cable TV that has uh, three meals a day. <laughs> and, you know, wow. and if you take those same metrics and you apply that to other parts of the country or other parts of the world, that's not necessarily poverty. And conversely, wealth is the same. In my opinion, it's very similar. Folks, it's about time and freedom and just being able to have the choices that allow you to really do what you want to do. Because again, we, as to Tarek's point, we're not going to be here forever. Yeah. Um, it's best for us to be able to leave some type of legacy to our children, to our offspring, um, and by to me, one of the best ways to do that is by investing in real estate.
0: Gotcha. Mm-hmm. I want I want to kind of like like help some of the people in the audience and start going through some strategies, right? Because mm-hmm. do you all remember when you were just starting? It yeah. was a lot of it was a lot of billions mm-hmm. away. Like it was it was a while. Do you remember? Oh yeah. So I want to, talk to someone, I want to talk to someone who makes $50,000 a year, and they plan on building wealth through real estate. So I want to ask you first, uh, Mr. Benoit, what are the steps that you would take? This person has a job, makes $50,000 a year. What do I do now? I might have a few thousand dollars saved, two, $3,000 in savings. What would you do if you were in those shoes?
4: If I were in my, those shoes... First, I would look at what my credit score is <laughs> because that's how you show up from a lending standpoint. Whether you can get favorable interest rates and favorable you know, loan to costs um, with these different lenders. Mm-hmm. So you have many people who are interested in investing, but they're not prepared nor qualified mm-hmm. to invest. So looking at your credit score would be the first thing. And if it's low, then you need to build that. Number 2 look so first,
0: first you're first you like yes. focus on your credit first. Yeah, you
4: have to be eligible. It's like, you know, if they say this is you know, you need to have this criteria in order to participate mm-hmm. in this uh, you know, in this event or whatever, you then you have to qualify. Yeah. At the end of the day. And so credit is huge. Mm-hmm. All right. So you, you I mean you, you deal with it every day and when, as you invest and most people don't have their you know their credit worth at all. Right. And they're not um, worthy for somebody to lend or they're not worthy for somebody to even invest with them. Yeah. So I tell most investors, okay, have you look at this is a great deal, all right, but is this person right here, you know, I mean, you know, what's their credit score? What's their financial situation? Yeah. Will they make the right decisions when things don't necessarily go the right way? Yeah. All right? How will they behave? And so, from a
0: lender standpoint, let's have this conversation around credit. Mm-hmm. What do
1: you see? What do they need? So this is sure when I, I get the second to, point. Yeah. So very good point by Eddie. Uh, but this is when I get to sound like a politician. <laughs> it depends. And so, to that point, to the person who has is making fifty thousand dollars a year, they've got two or three thousand dollars in savings. Let's say they have challenge credit. I never say the word bad credit because credit is essentially a snapshot in time. Well, let's assume that they really wanna kind of go through this real estate venture or real estate, real estate endeavor. Um, if they did have challenge credit, I would tell them to do exactly what um, Eddie said as far as working on their credit. However, if they were really ambitious, they were really proactive, I would tell them to start going out and networking at certain real estate invest, investor association meetings and trying to, All right, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations,
0: on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you can keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headache, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. It just makes sense. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors over 37% thousand companies have already made the move so do the math see how your profit from that suite i know you see it listen to me if you have everything scattered in business you cannot grow and everything is more expensive when you have more and more processes layered on top of each other more and more softwares you got to get out of that it, it will improve efficiency and cut costs Listen to the Black Stories, Black Truths on NPR, wherever you get podcasts.
1: Find somebody who could partner up with them um, on a smaller deal, um, or they could just start wholesaling properties. You know, they could either do one of those two things. But from a lender's perspective, it depends on what type of asset they're buying or what type of product they're seeking. So, for example, on a fix and flip, we're not going to be as sensitive to credit, although we still have credit minimums we're not going to be as sensitive to credit ratings mm-hmm. as opposed to a commercial let's say a multifamily 100 unit apartment complex we're going to be extremely sensitive to credit because that that's a larger project that's going to that's a lot more complex there's a lot more moving parts there so it just depends on what they're trying to do but if they're brand, if they're just starting out i would recommend either do something to increase your credit score or start wholesaling properties or and lastly, just start to maybe create relationships with other investors where you do majority of the work, you bring them on as a co-borrower if they believe in you enough, mm-hmm. so therefore you can at least get one or two deals done. Um, so that's why with credit, it just depends on what product type that they're seeking. Sure. Um, and I hate that sound like a, a, a politician, but as a lender, you always get to, you get those variables and you, know, you gotta be able to- You're a
0: hard to, money lender, right?
1: Uh, commercial lending and hard money is one thing that we also offer. Okay, so to kind of be a little more, that that word kind of grates at me. Yeah. Uh, and hard the reason, <laughs> you don't like yeah. interest. high interest? Yeah, yeah. High interest. yeah. 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 it's high interest. You know, interest. It, uh, the reason why I'm not a fan, I've never really been a fan of the word hard money or the word hard money because what it does, it assumes that the process is going to be very difficult. It's going to be very challenging. It's, it's going to assume that we're going to go through some middle, middle evil joust. And that's like farthest from the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, as a commercial lender, um, we hard money is one item that we do provide. Again, I'm really not a big fan of that word. If you notice, a lot of the quote unquote hard money lenders are taking that those words off of their websites mm-hmm. over the last five or six years because it just had, kind of has a negative connotation towards it. And so but it's hard money. Though. It's hard. It is. It's hard. <laughs> when I, just, I know what now people mean. I just, it, it's, it's, I just it's like to say money. private lending, commercial lending, non-traditional lending. There's so many other ways in which you can say that you can finesse it. Yeah. Sounds so much more elegant, but um, yeah, it, it just depends. You know, um, we're completely, uh, I think investors really need to understand that as well, how to go about um, doing that. But,
0: I'm, I'm not going to let you answer this question. Sure. I want y'all to answer this question. What is hard money lending? I'm going to let that answer. <laughs> <laughs>
4: That's the reason why I was saying you need to look at your credit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is from a lender here. So <laughs> I'm usually borrowing, mm-hmm. but that you specifically said somebody that makes $50,000. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they've got to pay their bills. $50,000 doesn't go a long way. They probably don't have much saved, which means they don't have you know, a large down payment on this investment, which means they're looking for as high leverage as they can on this investment. And so therefore for you to get the maximum leverage as far as loan, then that means you need pretty, you need to have pretty decent credit. What we want, what we don't want them to do is go get this hard money Mm. loan because the hard money loan, it is a significantly higher interest. It's not, a difficult process is no different mm-hmm. than the traditional loan process. He's right. However, it actually burdens the project mm-hmm. because of the requirements it, it gets, it draws the first blood. Okay. You know, <laughs> in the deal. And so that person is now in a situation whereby if they had to borrow some money from somebody else, because they didn't have enough for the down payment, they've got to put up 20 or 25% or 30%, depending on where, it, you know, that, that down payment is then they also have to provide a return to that person. Because if they came to David Mm. to borrow some money, David wants 14%. That's kind of like a hard money loan by the Definitely way. Definitely hard money. <laughs> Definitely hard money. That's hard money right now. They don't here. save my game. Yeah. I'm yeah. only I'm just doing saying. hard money, money I mean, money. I'm just saying. You if this money ain't hard to get for yeah. <laughs> <a> big, <laughs> I need a big loan. I return understand. My it was yeah. 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 hard for you to make it. percent yeah. uh, Absolutely. It's allowable. So, but all <laughs> we're saying is that that person, I mean, the, the, the deal has to work relatively well. No opportunity for slippage. All right? Or else that person won't necessarily reap the benefits that they're seeking out of that initial investment. Yeah. Gotcha. So that's what I would say you need to make sure that you know your credit is in place and you know how much money you have. Do you have enough money to actually be an investor? Are you qualified to start doing this? Then just the discipline that it requires. Do you have the time? You know, are you gonna do your due diligence? You're gonna do whatever it takes in order to make sure that you are overseeing this initial investment project that you're doing is spe- well, especially if you have somebody else's money involved. Yeah. In it. Yep. Gotcha. In addition to you. I'm yours. gonna answer that too though.
3: Yeah. So um I'm gonna just be kinda like a little bit, you know, just a little bit different, right? Because I'm one who started, you know, using a tax return and a five thirty credit score, right? Um I I need for you guys to understand when I said in the beginning, real estate have a lot of compartments that you can get started in, right? Um, I told this to David the other day, like if somebody say, yo, I only got... You know, fifteen hundred dollars or two thousand dollars, but they really want to start investing. You know, this is what you do. Even the children method. You know, um, you can go on Amazon right now and go buy a bubble gum machine. You know, for a few hundred dollars, you can go negotiate at a high traffic. You know, business maybe a hair salon. You know, maybe David Studio. Mm-hmm. You know, um, <laughs> maybe one of those type of locations where you can pay them maybe fifty dollars to a hundred dollars a month for that. Um, For that space you're going to use within their building, you know, go buy you five thousand gumballs, sell them at 50 cents each, you know, um, and you start generating money. And, yeah, that's a little step, but it's a easy entry into getting into building passive income and let that gumball machine take care of that. You know what I'm saying? Like that first investment and then you go reinvest it and you continue doing it, not just gumball machines. You can look into the ATM business, you know, where I have a lot of friends who um, come to us to be able to place their ATMs in commercial spaces that we have. Um, and it's still a need, believe it or not. One of the, um, the uh, most overlooked Um, easy ways to get into real estate is the laundry business, right? You know, um, people still go to the laundromats, believe it or not. And if you're in those areas, you know, um, I would definitely be looking at that type of um, opportunity as well to be able to get into um, where you can buy used um, laundry, wash machines and dryers from a previous laundromat that was open and maybe you spend a few thousand dollars and get started into that and just start building. You know, um, there's so many ways that you can get started but you know I I definitely agree with what they're saying you know credit is very important when you're getting to that level you know I I I bought my property for $5,000. That's how I started. I got it out the mud. I didn't have a playbook. I didn't have a sofa full of rich friends telling me how to get started <laughs> at 50000 I just did it with the knowledge that I had. You know, um, one of the things I will say is I because I started as a hustler, I had to learn how to get out of my business as a hustler and become a CEO because it gets to a point where you only can hustle your way to a certain point where it's now time to step over to that next level. Oh, so if I'm going to have a billion in assets, then I need to be able to Structure myself as a CEO, um, which goes back to, you know, I started with a small amount and now I'm where I'm at right now. So it's okay to hustle in the season that you're in if that's all you have. If your credit is not right, focus on getting your credit right. While you, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. building, you know, um, with the the vending business or even the parking lot business. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? If you got a parcel of grass that you want to go look, negotiate a land lease yeah. for, you don't even have mm-hmm. to own it. Just go say, look, I'll give you $500 a month. You doing nothing with this and start charging cars to park on it in a high traffic area. There's so many ways to get started, but I'll it. get off my soapbox. I love you know,
4: I, mm-hmm. I like to add Something you, yeah. I love the reference to the bubble gum mm-hmm. machine because I'm a little older than most of y'all in here. And so I remember bubblegum machines outside of Kmart. Mm, when I would mm. go to Kmart, one of those stores. Okay. These kids don't know nothing <laughs> about no Kmart. That's right. Old yeah, school, coming out boy. of any type yeah. of shopping center. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. it's so a Kroger or a Publix of today, mm-hmm. you'd always have these little bubblegum machines outside. Okay. Yeah. And there's a nickel, you know, mm-hmm. to get a bubblegum, you know, a jawbreaker. Maybe it's 10 cents. So there's a guy who actually owned all of them. And um, I know him very well. He sold that business for mm. over $200 million.
0: The gumball machine? Yes, yes. So he planted gumballs outside of Kmart's.
4: And he sold it for over $200 million.
0: $200 million? He sold over, mm.
4: over $200 million literally about probably 15 years ago. Wow.
0: Unbelievable, okay.
2: Wow.
0: Like my sister says, this is a, real estate is an octopus. I like yes. it. All right, so your second step, and we'll just build these conversations off your steps. <laughs> What's your second step? First, focus on your credit. Let's work on that. And then number two, what are we doing?
4: Number two is really, again, I mentioned just just the discipline. Are you ready? Yes. Are you ready um, You know to actually invest? Because this is something that you're doing on your sp- Hey,
0: y'all, I ain't going to lie, man. They sent me this Eufy lock. Think about being on the couch. Someone rings the doorbell. Your child left their key at school.
4: their time you just want to play with it or do you want to be serious about it specifically if you're getting other people's money involved that's what to me is the biggest um issue you know out there with people who want to go into real estate investment and they're just really not prepared to do so and they the, the deal looks great like hey man i could build this home You know, I've got this slide. I could build it for $150,000, but the homes here are going for $300,000. So everybody sees $150,000 in profit. What they don't realize is, did this person do their full due diligence? Can you really build it for Mm $150,000? Okay, do you really have the right contractors or subcontractors to do this? Are you really designing a house that could actually generate sales at $300,000 mark? And before you know it, you know, it cost them, you have all these cost overruns. Mm-hmm. Now it costs them really $225,000 to finish the house. And it takes him a longer period of time. And so therefore he's charging a lot more interest. All right. On that, <laughs> on that <laughs> loan. And, and he's licking his chops because he's like, Hey, I have first lien position on this property. It mm-hmm. doesn't go well, you know, I'll just sell it, you know, and I'm still going to be profitable. And, but then if David has some money invest, co invested in this deal, mm-hmm. that money's at risk because you still have to pay six percent commission. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. when you sell that home. So it's not that three hundred thousand is not net, you know, to the investment itself. So then it sells and maybe there's a margin, a profit margin of about, I don't know, thirty thousand dollars and they barely made it through. Yeah. And that's if the property doesn't sit for a long time. Yeah, and it sells relatively quickly. So you went from one hundred fifty thousand dollars of potential profit to about thirty thousand dollars in profit. Yeah. How do how do we start? How do we start
0: to educate ourselves on building wealth in real? Not building wealth, but how to make this thing profitable. How do we start the education process? Do we read? Do
4: we read Rich Dad Poor Dad? Do we? Yeah, you need to, reading is important, but also you need mentors. Yeah. Okay, people who've already done it and that are doing it and ask them the questions and just keep them, you know, kind of like, you know, on your speed dial as you're going through the process. Let them you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, if you meet with me, I will tell you all the things you need to do, you know, from step by step basis. But you have to be willing to do it, too. Yeah, for sure. That's the difference. You have to be willing to do it. But a lot of times, you know, most people go into real estate investment and they think that they could actually get wealthy real quickly. Mm-hmm. It's a game changer. No. It's a you know, it's a steady, you know, process. And you don't want to bite on more than you can actually chew. Yeah. You can't go from building one, you know, a lot at a time and then before you know it, you've done it relatively well. And it wasn't because you were that great, it's because the market was bullish. Yeah. It didn't matter what you did. Yeah. You st- just deals, this, this property sold itself, okay? It's not because of you, not because of your brilliance. <laughs> and so therefore you've done well and you think you're on top of the world. So now you're going down the street and you're trying to buy 10 lots and develop those 10 lots at a time. And guess what happens? Just look at what's happened recently about, let's say about a, less than a year ago. Mm-hmm. People were offering... Anywhere from thirty to fifty thousand dollars over the asking price, yeah. Okay, of a home, and they were battling, yeah. you know, to see you know how quick they can get the property.
0: Has it, has that ever been like that before, or it's happened yeah, before? It in
4: uh, before yeah. the recession, yeah. it was like that, mm-hmm. but then it changed. Yeah. Okay, and so therefore, if you were if if you were actually, um, you know, kind of. Building your little portfolio based on people overpaying, you know, for properties. <laughs>
3: <He said> little, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, because that person that 50000 fifty
4: yeah. thousand right. $50, dollar person. Okay, <laughs> mm-hmm. you're building your little portfolio. You're doing one at a time, and so because you can't go out there and and, and invest in hundred units. That's right. You haven't yeah. done it before. That's right. And that yeah. means you're gonna be depend. You're gonna depend on other people's money. Yep. And that's a lot of money to put at risk for somebody that's a novice. Yeah, and mm. so therefore you have to be very careful because the market changes very quickly. Yes. Yeah, so you went from a market that was a sellers' market, and it changed real quick because interest rates went up considerably, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. now therefore, guess what? You have properties that are actually you know discounting their prices. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: absolutely. Mm. With uh, so talk to me, y'all were in real estate before the mm. the crash. The the two thousand
1: eight, two thousand nine, mm-hmm. right?
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are we seeing signs of that now?
1: Mm. Two thousand eight, two thousand nine was more of kind of like a mortgage banking crisis. This is more kind of like um, I wouldn't call this a crisis. I just think it's a moment in time.
2: Yeah. <laughs> this is a
1: cyclical process. Typically, um, yeah. you know, cycles have to happen every seven to ten years. So I wouldn't necessarily call them call it crisis. See, he's making the money. That's why he's saying it. <laughs> I call it a crisis. I'm the developer. Yeah. Okay. And people are still paying him. Okay? Right? <laughs> and, and, and another reason why, because, you know, people will say interest rates are high. And Granted, interest rates have risen, what is it, 11 times since 2022. So they have definitely risen significantly over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. But if you literally look at like a 50-year map of where interest rates were at, they're typically around this point. Right, mm-hmm. they're around. I think U.S. prime rate right now is eight and a half percent. Feds funds rate somewhere like five percent or so. But they've been around this number. What's the difference between the eight and the five? The to- It's just the spread that the the Feds the Fed funds rate's the rate that banks tend to lend with lend lend to each other. So banks will lend monies to each other and things of that sort and borrow from each other. That three hundred or three percent difference is the numbers that. Um, that's the spread, right? So the U.S. prime rate is 8.5%. So you'll see, and then in certain, in certain products are attached to U.S. prime, certain products are attached to U.S. treasuries. But that 3% difference is kind of aligned with where we're at now as well. And what's so critical might translate about that, for that me? too, hmm? what's critical so about that? Can I explain
0: that? that in English? It's <laughs> a <laughs> lot of explanation.
4: Um, <laughs> but one of the things is, is that he's right. When you look at the empirical data, the, mm-hmm. you know, historically, What rates have been, yes, they've been around, you know, what the rates are, you know, today. You've seen over the past three weeks, there's been a sharp decline, Mm -hmm. okay, in interest rates. From what to what? I mean, from 6.7, like with a lot of the FHA, you know, lending that we deal with, Fannie and Freddie went from 6.7 to 6% as recent as, you know, Wednesday. That's a sharp decline. That's a sharp sharp decline. decline. It makes a big difference in your deals. But the problem is is that most people who are early into real estate development or real estate investment, Mm -hmm. they don't have the history. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. They don't know what it looked like 20 years ago or 30 years ago. He's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows what rates were as of a few weeks ago, (laughs) okay, (laughs) and what they'd like it to be
1: two months from now. Yeah.
0: Or comparing it to what – kind of the 2%, 3% that we were just in.
1: Yeah. Right? yeah, that's that. That's the thing that a lot of people make the comparison. I will say that there is a little bit of a crisis there because home prices are still not, they're still increasing at a pace that wages are not increasing. And so you have a lot of this, which is kind of, and you couple increased home prices with wage inflation or wage deflation In addition to you still have higher interest rates you can make a very strong argument that is a crisis so you've got home prices just keep going up and keep going up and keep going up and now you've got wages are just not matching that number and then you tack on higher interest rates so there's obviously a challenge there that is to your point i would assume that's essentially where i would see a crisis but as far as the interest rates it's it's a function of time Mm -hmm. but It's harder and harder and harder for more and more folks to buy homes, not just because of the higher interest rates, but because of those home prices and because of, wait, they're just, folks are not getting the wages that they really need to get to buy those properties.
0: Yeah. I saw, I saw a, a, something on Instagram Mm -hmm. or TikTok. And I hate to bring Instagram and TikTok into this very serious (laughs) conversation. But I saw something, (laughs) it was an image, and it showed that, the amount of money people are paying for buying homes is more expensive than the amount of money people are paying to rent homes. And for some reason, there was like some sort of problem with that. Did y'all see that? Mm-hmm. Is that real or is that was just TikTok? We see yeah. that all the
1: time. I, I, we see that all the time. It's, yeah. it's cheaper to rent than it yeah. is to buy.
0: It wasn't always um, like that though, no? Because I mean, I remember thinking <laughs> if is, I buy it, then I'll be saving. It's not as expensive.
1: But no. here's so I, those gra- graphs like that to me are a little bit misleading. It was TikTok yeah. because so, so. you know the reason for that is because they're a little bit misleading because they'll let people they never take into the the, the equation the equity that you're building when you own a home. They That's never right. take into equation the debt pay down that you own when you own a home mm-hmm. They never take into equation the taxes that you save when you own a home. So there's so many benefits to owning, to home ownership. So those things, I call them like teaser graphs. They're just mm-hmm. trying to, they're like clickbait They're yeah. Hey, look at this. And mm-hmm. hey, mm-hmm. this is what we say, but there's so many benefits to home ownership that mm-hmm. folks dearly need to kind of focus on. Um, I take those graphs with a grain of salt because they're, they're trying to, present information in a very short time frame and they don't give people a lot of folks who are watching information the data behind it because yeah. if you sit here and tell me well there's so many benefits I'm own home ownership I'm gaining equity I'm mm-hmm. gaining uh, tax benefits I'm gaining a skill set there's so many benefits there as yeah. opposed to that as well okay so
0: it's, it's wise and mm-hmm. and I'd like to
1: hear this too
0: Gary V. It was on TikTok again, but Gary V said you shouldn't buy a home, and these millennials shouldn't buy homes. They need to rent because they need to put that money into like businesses or something like that. It's like he's giving Dave
3: Ramsey advice
0: to everybody,
3: you know. So I'm sorry, you, did you finish that? Yeah, I was done. It, it was, was just balling. Yeah. <laughs> so I saw Yeah. So I don't think that everybody should just be put in one compartment, right? Yeah. There's some people who don't have the discipline of having home ownership and are owning a home and really need to know, you know, the importance of home ownership. Mm. Right. Um, And and what I mean by that is paying your bills on time. Yeah. Right. And not losing your house to foreclosure, because it's a lot harder to get another house once you go through that foreclosure process. Mm. Also, I think that, you know, for those of for those people encouraging everybody in the world to just rent, I just think they're out their mind, you know, um, because (laughs) the amount of wealth I accumulated from the equity, like I got so much equity in my actual investments that I literally can go buy the, the same investment three or four times over. Yeah. You can't do that renting. The other thing is, when you're renting, you're almost homeless yeah. because the moment that landlord want to kick you out and or sell, and it's not negotiated or whatever the case may be, you now trust in somebody else. Now, somebody may argue, "Yo, the bank can do that to you too, right?" The bank got to go through a whole entire process and prove that you're you're not keeping your um, commitment to the agreement of um, what you agreed to in that promissory note. Yeah. They can't just kick you out of your property, right? A landlord, they can give you a 30-day notice and be like, yo, you got to go, depending on the terms in the lease. So I always grit my teeth when somebody say everybody should be renting right now in a market like this. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard.
1: All right, I'm not going to bring up Eddie. any more you TikTok conversations. That, yeah. yeah, that kind of grates on me as well. When you make overarching themes about yes. what everyone should be doing, yes, um, that to me is always a little bit of a challenge because, again, home ownership is one of the big... The best way to the easiest way to create wealth is is create buying a house, right? That's the that's the largest asset that most investors, most not even investors, most Americans will make. Most people will make just buying a house. So why would you dissuade someone from doing that? Obviously, I understand there's clicks and views, and I definitely am still a fan of Gary V. But that's one point I just not uh, agreed with at all.
0: Gotcha. Uh, uh, we we are uh, we have lunch being catered, y'all. Y'all eat cheesesteaks. Eat cheesesteak. You want to eat cheesecakes? No. no. Is it because the meat little? I don't s- eat meat. Oh, we got salmon. We got salmon yeah, one yeah, though. Yeah, oh, okay, okay. oh yeah, cool. So uh, <laughs> so I see cheesecake. Actually, I, I can tell we were actually talking about um, I want to be able to promote their business and become a business partner. So
2: nice.
0: There's there's a reason we're here.
2: But only because <laughs> I loved.
0: I had I had their cheesecake. Now now anything I say after this is like a sales pitch. But uh, me and my wife we uh, we saw that they had. The best cheesesteaks. Yeah, you can start delivering. Uh, the best cheesesteaks in the city. He's going to be the salmon. Yeah,
7: we're making the,
0: the chicken and salmon right now. I'm just cool. It's fresh fresh. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Tiaraca is the salmon. She's like, I don't want nothing. I don't want no onions or peppers or veggies or nothing like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. right, salmon right, right, too. Gotcha. Yeah, and I got a salmon for you, for sure. We got it coming. So we got the uh, so icy be cheesesteaks
1: being on. catered. I'll take the salmon if you have uh,
0: uh, First so off. You to try
1: to beat uh, you gotta have yeah. a bite of the beef I'll take okay. a bite. I try to yeah, I'll try, gotta try, take try a bite of it. Yeah. yeah, and then mm-hmm.
0: we got some for our studio audience as well. Um, and and I, we're gonna be my when we were having a conversation about the, um, about the right now they are in a ghost kitchen, and but phenomenal product. So I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, yo, we need to get a restaurant because I could drive some traffic to a restaurant, right? Yeah. But in my mind, I never want to build out something that i don't own i did that before in the studio and i just don't like the idea Mm -hmm. of improving someone else's property Mm -hmm. to occupy it i'm like my only thought is i want to buy something is that wise that thought process if it's not tell me why not see
3: why you always start with me? Because you're closest to me. Oh. <laughs> and you be making the funniest
0: faces. Like, see
3: I just don't have <laughs> a poker face, right? <laughs> so um, I'm not, I don't think that it's a bad decision because I, I think that there's some spaces that, you know, you um, you can negotiate with a landlord and build out, you know, very custom to what you mm-hmm. want and get exactly what you want and not have to have all the expenses of a building. You know, um, some people don't want to have to deal with all of the mm-hmm. roof issues and parking lot issues and so, all of that type of stuff. So if you're one that's like, yo, like, you know, let me just build out my suite and and be able to, you know, just pay you a uh, um, you know, a flat fee a month. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I also don't think there's nothing wrong with owning your suite um, in regards to that. Um, so I'm, I'm down in the middle. I'm building out our podcast studio in a suite that I do not own, but I also want to make sure that this is something that I really, really like, but guess what? I negotiated for the landlord to pay the first hundred thousand of the renovation and then whatever's left after that, I'll pay for it. So oh, that- what that means is that. I'm going to stay under $100,000 to build out this podcast studio and he's going to fund it. And I'm just going to be his tenant for that amount of time. Now, is he charging it back in the grocery? Rent? Absolutely. But I'm OK with that because at the end of the day, I'm I'm making this initial investment to make sure that this is where I want to be in this lane.
0: Eddie, you are going to be my my business partner. I'm saying, yo, so I see ATL, they got the best cheesesteaks in the city and I really wish y'all eat beef. Try it. Just go on one bite, real quick. Just oh. did you bite? Just go on it one, Not one time. Yet. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm saying we need to go from this ghost kitchen to a restaurant, and I need to find a building. Would your thought? Would your first thought be? We need to buy a building, or
4: are you leasing? No, my first thought wouldn't be to buy a building. Mm. Um, it's proof of, of concept. <laughs> proof, yeah. proof of concept. Mm-hmm. Proof yeah. of concept. Mm-hmm. I know it looks delicious mm-hmm. just on the way you're chewing it. You know? It's, incredible. So it's mm-hmm. incredible. But at the same time, you need to go from the ghost ch- kitchen to a full operation. You want to control your expenses. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yes, the food takes, tastes great, but you need to see how it does you know, just from a sales standpoint. How much of the market can you actually you know, draw? and what kind of revenue generation each storefront you know can actually produce mm. those are some of the metrics that you need to establish first in your first you know 2 3 years of operating so it's okay i agree with her like to actually get lease space maybe you do your first lease as a three-year lease with some, you know, relatively lenient out clauses. Mm-hmm. If things don't work well, again, don't focus on the food. You got to focus on the business. That's, let's go. Okay, mm-hmm. you got to focus on the business. Mm-hmm. So All right, okay. there are many restaurants that have great food that actually shut down mm-hmm. because the business, the you know, their, their business acumen wasn't there. Got All right, it. as far as how they managed it and operated. So, since the, you 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 you'd have the opportunity to. Um, have the proof of concept within those first two to three years. And if it's just busting through the seams as far as what your revenue generation is and also your bottom line you know, profit, then you can decide and say, you know what, we need even more space as opposed to we started off with, I don't know, 1,200, 1,500 square feet. We actually really need a presence, you a know, store of 4,500 square feet. And as opposed to renting at this point, we have enough um, information as far as how the, the store has performed on an annual basis over the past three years, we can afford to buy this building because we don't see mm-hmm. this product going anywhere. It is solid and it can only grow. Got and right. Maybe you will even have you know, other storefronts in other yeah. areas. But yeah. I wouldn't go buy a building um, you know, for a restaurant yeah. You know, up front, Kenneth, be yeah. on my side,
1: man. No, um, uh, no, I, on. I, I'm on the I same. I need help here. They have, <laughs> I, I'm in the, I, I have to agree with both Eddie and Terrica on this one as well. Um, <laughs> if it's a startup, because we have this conversation with a lot with a lot of investors and obviously new business owners that are looking to buy a building to do whatever business that they're looking to do, and it's a startup, the startup hasn't necessarily generated revenue as of yet, even if it has generated revenue, you still want to be. You want to manage your costs, as they stated, Like right? So when you buy a building, you have fixed costs now that you really have to focus on. You've got so many other ancillary expenses you really have to worry about, in addition to generating revenue for the business so that it can sustain itself. Mm-hmm. So it's best to kind of have that proof of concept, being able to generate revenue, make certain sure that your expenses are down, under, uh, implement the company culture, make sure that the, you've got your strong core values, but also make sure that you're profitable mm-hmm. for a couple of years. And then when you're able to kind of show that, a bank, a banker will feel a lot more comfortable with giving you a building or financing the building for you. Because if you just started, you know, um, trying to obtain the building and many people can qualify for it. You don't necessarily have to take traditional bank financing. You can sell or finance a project. There's so many things you can do, but you you don't necessarily have that revenue that, that, that you need, those expenses, that data that you need in order to kind of obtain better financing terms. So again, you can definitely do it. I personally wouldn't recommend it. If you're gonna buy
4: a building, then you need to look at it as a real estate investment. That's right. Mm -hmm. Okay, regardless of the restaurant. The restaurant could be one of your tenants Mm -hmm. or the tenant. But I wouldn't buy the building because you're putting the restaurant in it. It needs to be that if the restaurant, you know, doesn't necessarily succeed, then you can put, you know, another um, use in there. The what same, I tell you, the
0: same what use. What I you, What I tell you, I heard had, goes crazy.
3: The same use mm-hmm. that we talked about for Cleveland, mm-hmm. right? It's the same thing, right? Just be the landlord of the business and yeah. have the have it two separate entities. That way, that business is going to pay rent and it's going to be lucrative. Now that makes sense. So you've been
4: to my office, you mm-hmm. know, development, and we've got other, you know, tenants, okay, there. But however, in our office suite the space that we occupy each one of our companies actually pays rent mm-hmm. you know to the ownership of this commercial development which is yep. me
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay
4: so your business
0: also oh, so, so. Oh, they have
4: to pay rent yes that's right if so they I, don't pay if they don't pay rent then it's a problem
0: so okay let's say for instance i'm going to be a partner in this restaurant i will go buy the building you that own that it in a different a entity I'm a partner Yes yes,
4: And and then so you As a partner In this restaurant Still has to pay rent right. To the partnership That owns The building okay. Which you're, you're also my In that partnership That's right I, but, I like it And put it on And now. so you wear two hats <laughs> Oh for sure If the rent's like delinquent then you're sitting across from your partners in the mm. restaurant, like, mm. "Where's my rent?" <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then when then you turn around and go on the other side of the table, like, "Hey guys, salesman, <laughs> so you know, can you give me a concession?" <laughs>
0: Unbelievable. Okay, I like. That. Okay, that that actually makes sense. Okay, we're back to the fifty thousand dollar a year maker, and we're trying to build wealth through real real estate. I don't own anything right now. And see, I'm, i i at. You start with this.
2: You said you
0: always tell me that real estate is an octopus, and you got to figure out your lane. Mm-hmm. Which, which tentacle of this octopus are you starting out? Fifty thousand a year. I got a few thousand dollars saved, but I need to start building this. I need to start this process of building wealth through real estate.
3: Yeah. So I mean, they have real estate investment trust that they can get started in if they want to just get started like you know with a small amount of money right like two three hundred bucks they can go and invest in a read or something like that Um, again I go back to the gumball machine you know Um, I think that that's a very easy form to get in I mean I used to have vending machines throughout the mall you know um, I just pay them two hundred and fifty dollars they measure it per the square foot of what I have and you know I made sure that I had five hundred dollars worth of snacks in that vending machine so that way I can cover the rent and um, cover the actual expenses for the Um, snacks that's in there and then be able to profit a few, you know, a few dollars afterwards, you know? So I think for me, I'm all about, you know, just finding a way to make it work. Um, and don't get caught up in all of the, the actual, um, the the red tapes of real estate Um, I agree with Eddie 100% that you have to be disciplined so if you're inconsistent and you start a gumball business and you don't go fill your machine you don't (laughs) keep up with it you don't go do what you're supposed to you're still not going to make money right right. so I really think discipline is the first thing to starting you know um, with real estate investing and then you know Um, having that discipline and stand on top of those things is going to allow you to go to the next level. Um, I would also say that, you know, those that are like, you know, they, they don't, you know, they don't have any extra money, then go to YouTube University and just get knowledge. Just go listen and learn a foreign language and just hear what people saying about real estate and start going to um, network meetings like, you know, what Ken said, just going to have, you know, conversations with other people. And before you know it, somebody may want to bring you in as a partner and say, well, hey, you have a little extra time. Maybe you can go to the store and be our runner and do this and we pay you five or 10 percent on a deal. You know what it may look like for you getting started may be very different than what it looks like for everybody else. So um,
0: Erica Lynn Smith. Yes, you mm-hmm. like fifty thousand a year. Yeah, you are the manager at Chick Fil A. You brought in me all the way back for four years. Okay, and um, you just something's got to shake. And you're mm-hmm. like, I, real estate is going to be my path to wealth. Mm-hmm. What is
3: Terica Lynn Smith doing? I'm going back to get my real estate license and go to real estate and start selling real estate. Mm, okay. That's where I started at. I mean, you asked me why I started. I remember Absolutely. my first year in real estate made five thousand dollars. I'm like, yo. I could have worked at McDonald's. So now you got me at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm still a realtor at this point. Right, so, right. you know, I, I mean, it was a few hundred bucks to go get my real estate license and, you know, go learn how to sell people homes and just being in that language. I mean, I would start there for me.
0: Cool. Cool. Kenneth, mm-hmm. you make 50,000, regular average life. You're trying to build wealth through real estate. What avenue are you going in when it comes to real estate?
1: Um, Starting off, if I make 50,000, I would definitely want to find a mentor who I could learn from, uh, number one, and I would start networking. I would, start, I would watch as much videos as I could, as I can, and I would start networking. So I try to gain as much knowledge as possible, start networking, but then I would just start wholesaling. Um, very similar to kind of anyone who doesn't necessarily understand or know what a real, wholes- real estate wholesaler is. Uh, they act in a way of a real estate agent, but they're not licensed. So think of them as almost like an investment property locator. It doesn't really cost any money to start. It doesn't cost any monies to, oh, it doesn't cost any monies to start. It doesn't cost any monies to kind of get into that side of the business, but you can start as a real estate wholesale. I've seen so many wholesalers, so many people start as an investment property locator and kind of start there and then kind of segue into renovating homes. And then they segue into buying rental properties. They segue into um, buying multifamily properties, but you know, doing that. Or I may even consider a career change. So another great way to get into real estate mm-hmm. investing is to go work for somebody who actually is in real estate. If you want to be a developer, consider working for a developer. If you want to be in real estate finance, consider working for a real estate finance group. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a real estate architect. So when people say they want to get into real estate, I always have to ask like, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. There's so many facets of real estate. There's so many departments, there's so many components to it. It's one of the biggest sectors of our economy. Um, so, if you may want to consider a career change, if you if that's not an option, then I would either consider getting a um, uh, be starting becoming a wholesaler because you don't need to get a license, or even consider becoming a real estate uh, a- agent. And then, you know, another thing you could also do is just to start, you know, think about trading land or selling land. Mm-hmm. You know, start small. You don't have to go after the uh, billion dollar projects. It's not there. Is those projects are far and few between, and. They only give those projects to the most experienced and the most astute of developers. Um, but you can go after some of the smaller projects and start to network. You know, half of this industry is, in my opinion, half of this industry is what you know. The other half is who you know. Actually, let me break it in thirds. A third of this industry is what you know. A third of this industry is who you know. And then a third, the other third is who, who knows you what, and what they knew about you. And so just kind of looking at that and understanding it, start networking, but also take action. Because we have, I've personally experienced, a lot of investors will start, they'll have conversations with us, and a year later I always ask, hey, when did you, are you starting? Are you once going to get started? And they never do anything. Mm -hmm. They never start. And so if you never start, you can never win. So it's best to at least start the process. Even if it's unsuccessful, you have to keep going.
0: Love it. Mm-hmm. Got a caller?
5: No, we don't have a caller, but we got to make an announcement to get the callers.
0: Let's do it. Okay. Listen, y'all, if you have a question, okay, any question uh, about building wealth, these are all entrepreneurs. If you have a question, send a text message to 404 421 5732. Nella will answer that text message and we will call. Well, you will call. She'll give instructions so you can call it. You'll, you'll call them or. Yeah, you. you're going.
5: I'll have my people call their people. Yeah. (laughs) Send a text. Say, I
0: I got a question that I want to answer live, and we will set it up and give you further instructions. So send a text to 404 421 5732. our, Our something is standing by. How does that sound more professional?
5: Huh?
0: Our assistants are standing by. Customer service is standing. It's really Nella, but
2: I'm standing by. Nella
0: is, Nella is standing by. Okay, send uh, send a text. Where do I? Where would you start? No, yeah, you know.
4: an interesting question because I was that guy a mm. um, couple of years into you know my career. So I worked for a construction company uh, called Skanska, it was one of the largest construction companies. They actually recruited me out of college moved me to Atlanta. Mm. But I always knew I wanted to be in real estate development, but I really wanted to learn how to build first. Yeah. And so when I left them about three years into working for them, I actually was at that $50,000 mark, plus or minus, and um, wanted to invest in my own real estate. At this point, I was working for a real estate development company, mm. okay? And so I was seeing it you know, every day, I was in the trenches, learning the business. Um that a lot of people there who were, you know, senior in the business that I could actually go to from a mentorship. But you know, from my individual investments, because of the fact that I was working there every day, it helped me, you know, kind of determine what was the best investment for me. So I started with the buying and flipping. But I would buy one property at a time, and so I looked so at buy risk. A
0: property flip, so
4: yeah. So turned around and flipped it. But risk was the biggest thing that I heard at work every day. You would hear risk assessment, risk assessment. So I started looking at myself. If I want to invest outside of investing into my first home, okay, that I lived in mm-hmm. um, right after you know college, I was like, if I'm going to invest into investment properties. Then, you know, what are some of the risk factors that I need to really pay attention to? And from a risk standpoint, I wanted to make sure that my costs weren't out of hand. All right. As far as the rent, I didn't want to do any ground up construction Mm -hmm. because too many variables. I have a a full time job. Right. Okay. I can't be, I can't have a job in Buckhead that also requires me to travel. But yet I'm building you know a property in Stone Mountain. Yeah. Just doesn't work because during the day I need to be at work or I may be out of town somewhere. Yeah. So it was best for me to buy a rehab, something that I could rehab. Mm-hmm. It was a value added. Buy something that's probably in foreclosure or deed in your foreclosure where I could actually buy it a lot less than what the replacement value is. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I looked at that side from a risk standpoint. Well, I know I'm buying it cheaper than anybody else in this neighborhood. So right. that gives me a competitive edge. Number two, I looked at cost for renovation. All of the major renovation items that you would typically get a subcontractor to come in and oversee you know, the, the laborers, mm-hmm. I decided that I would oversee those. So I would cut that cost off. So it's but like in the
0: beginning, you don't know what you're overseeing. But I the know. thing is is
4: I had the background. Yeah, remember, mm-hmm. I have, you know, with the school of building and construction. So Got I it. built high rises. So this to me was, you know, relatively easy. But it was just a matter of time. So going back to the discipline, I decided that every evening after work, whether it was five, six or seven o'clock, mm-hmm. I would dedicate about two hours per evening. And that's before hanging out, going to the club. All right? I'd have a change of clothes afterwards, you know, ready to go. go But I'm still going to go to the club because at that time, you know, I'm about 24, 25 years old. Uh All right? So, I mean, yeah, I had hair that time. um, It was a lot lower. But but, um, I decided that that's what I would do. I would put about two hours, you know, every night and I would get the laborers, pick them up around the Targets, the Walmarts, they come work with me. Mm -hmm. And whether we were laying tile or we were painting, whatever it was, so I was cutting my costs down and making sure I had it under control. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the renovation would take a little bit longer period of time, but at the same time, it cost me a lot less to do the renovation. I'd go out and I'd choose my own tile. I'd go different places and get the best product, best quality but for a lot lower price. Yeah. So if my, my $30,000 renovation probably was worth really maybe you know $40,000 yeah. of cost or $50,000 of cost. So I managed my risk that way. The last part was that I didn't buy a home that I felt as though that I could not carry that mortgage for at least a year if something went bad in the, in the market that I couldn't, I didn't have enough um, surplus cash after I paid all my bills based on what my income was, you know, to actually carry that, that home in the event that something happened in the market, it didn't sell, you know, fast. I never had a situation where it didn't sell fast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I was, so I was always lucky, but I only did one at a time. Okay. And if, and I would also make sure that I was forecasting, look, be realistic this is not going to take three weeks for you to do. Yeah. All right. You just going to take you literally two months to complete this renovation and you need to build that in your budget. Yeah. And so risk was assessing the risk was a major factor, you know, for me when I was that guy at 50 some thousand dollars and I wanted to make my first investment outside of what Ken said, my first home. Yeah. Which was my biggest investment at the time. I like that.
0: Let's let's talk about some numbers because numbers are numbers tell the whole story, right? So, mm-hmm. if you are going to invest in a business, you have to like go see the business and kind of talk to the owner and all that kind of stuff, right? But in real estate, it seems like it, it has it has to match up on paper, right? Like what. blindly, and I'm not saying you go like blindly look at houses, but if you're going to blindly look at the deal, what are the, what are the numbers that we're considering? And I'm sure all of you have your own formulas, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, we'll, we'll start here. Give me some, give me some numbers I need to consider when we start looking at a good deal or bad deal from a lender perspective. What are you
1: investing? in So a couple of things. Um, we look at number one, location, number two, the property, number three, the individual. Um, Location obviously, if you're in a major market, we would want you to, we would need you to be in a major market. It's harder to finance deals in rural markets just because mm-hmm. there's just less people. From a lo- property perspective, we look at, and it depends on what type of asset you're buying, what type of asset you're you're looking to acquire. Let's assume you're start. If you're the fifty thousand dollar person, you probably want to do a probably a fix and flip. And with that mm-hmm. fix and flip, um, we look at the purchase price, we look at the as is value. We want to make certain sure that the purchase price is approximate to the as is value, I think Eddie said earlier early, early on the conversation that about last year early part of last year, people were overpaying for properties thirty forty fifty thousand dollars over asking It was a common thing we 're starting to see the pain that a lot of people put themselves in now because we 're having to refinance mm-hmm. a lot of the debt that they couldn 't get themselves out of right. but when you overpay for an asset from a lender 's perspective, um, if we, we look at every single deal through the eyes of a f- um, a foreclosure. Um, We have to make the assumption, no matter how attractive someone looks on paper, no matter how great, how much money they have in the bank, no matter how experienced they are, no matter how great their credit is, there's a possibility for foreclosure. So we want people to buy properties uh, approximate to the as is value. And how do we determine the as is value? We determine that through an appraiser. So the appraiser is going to set an as is value. Now we're gonna look at the renovation budget. We wanna make certain that the renovation budget can be defended. We don't want you to, um, we never wanna underfund a project if it's a renovation project. So that's one thing a lot of newer investors really need to really focus on. Um, You never wanna have a project underfunded because once it closes and you sign loan docs, if there's any type of surprise, if there's any type of additional renovations needed, that comes out of your pocket, not ours. Got it. And then number three, we look at the completed value. What exactly will the home sell for when it's fully renovated? Uh, we look at comparable sales at China, make sure that the numbers are valid, and yeah, we want to make sure those are okay. Those are what we look at in the property. Now, from a lending perspective, we also take a look at loan-to-cost, and we look at a thing called loan-to-value. So loan-to-cost is another way of saying, if there's a construction component attached to this deal, um, what's, the, uh, what's the percentage against the total cost? Mm-hmm. If my renovation budget is 100000 my purchase price is 300000 my total cost is 400000 so we're going to lend at either the lower of the loan to cost or loan to value. And so those are the numbers we pay a lot of attention to. Mm-hmm. We also want to make certain that the borrower obviously has skin in the game. You know, there are folks who will promote 100% financing products. Never been a fan of those. I don't I think Uh, investors need to have equity in the deal. I'm
0: sorry, 100% financing, oh, meaning
1: just (laughs) yeah, you've got a lot of people, there are folks who will promote 100% financing in a deal. Hey, you can get in a deal with absolutely no money out of your pocket, not true. Um, Well, let me take that back. Money still has to come into the deal. It doesn't necessarily need to be your money. You can partner up with someone. But from a lending perspective, we do not do 100% financing projects, right? So we wanna make certain that the investor has the resources to not just get into this project, but stay in the project and then exit out of it successfully, either through a sale of the property or a refinance. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at those things and we wanna make certain that folks are really understand. So another good metric uh, at our firm, we have what we call the 30% rule. If there's any type of renovation type of project, we wanna see that the borrower has at minimum 30% of the total cost available to them in liquidity. Mm. And what that means, that tells us that, and this is for renovation, single family renovation loans. It doesn't necessarily apply to like some of the uh, commercial projects, but we want to know that they have the resources to stay in this project, because many times a lot of investors they have the money to get into the project, but then they don't have enough money to survive or stay in the project, and that's the challenge. So the thirty percent rule works like this: if your total cost is, let's say, four hundred thousand dollars we would want to, let's say $300,000, 200000 to buy the property, $100,000 to renovate the property. Your total cost is $300,000. we would want to see 30% of that in your account in some form or fashion. Or we can take the aggregate of m- multiple members in the entity. So we'd want to see $90,000 in that account. And it can come from IRAs, 401ks, money markets. We'll give you credit for that. So that liquidity component really helps us out quite a bit okay. because that 30% really represents, number one, you have the monies to close. Number two, you have three months of monthly payments. Number, four, number three, you've got monies to start the renovation because you're not you're gonna have to start that renovation with your own resources. And then number four, you still have monies to live. Got so that, fir- that person who's making $50,000 a year, we wanna know that this project is going to be a successful one. It has to be. If it's not, then we're gonna be in trouble. I love it too. Mm-hmm. Give me your formula. What are we looking for? Just give me some numbers to consider
0: when I'm getting into real estate and whatever aspect that you you'd like to talk about.
3: Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think all investors pretty much use the same formulas. You know, fix mm-hmm. and flips is going to fall up under the 70 percent rule. I use the 60 percent in markets like this um, where the interest rates are a little bit high. I'm just a little bit more conservative. Um you know, for multifamily, you know, you can use the 1% or the 2% rule. You know, um, I think what's important is, although we talking about all these different rules and formulas, like, you have to educate yourself on these things, you know, um, because we can say all of this in a short one or two hours and not be able to go deep into it. Um, but, you know, there's so many formulas that are important when investing, especially like just say multifamily, you know, the cap rate, the um gross rent multiplier. Like there's so many different components in real estate. I can't just name one, two, three, four, five formulas. I'm not a lender. Um, it depends on the actual deal I'm looking at. So for a development, I'm looking at my feasibility study and I'm looking at, you know, um, the, 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 um, the hard and soft cost and just trying to get an idea of what all of that looks like. And so, I think a lot of that is going to come with mentorship and having someone to watch your blind spots and knowing how to analyze these deals. Because if you've never gotten into real estate and, like Eddie said, and you have no clue what you're doing, you're going to get a haircut yeah. straight up. So we can give them one, two, three and four, but you know, these one, two and three, fours can't be your Bible. You have to do, you know, you have to like get into the word and, and understand more of what is actually going on and have people to be able to pour into you. So, i'm I mean you know there's so many formulas you can you know learn them all, but I just you know my one, two, three, and fours is it's coming from experience. It's not coming mm-hmm. from a newbie, like a new person is not going to know how to figure out the 1% rule in a multifamily deal and or a 70% rule um, on a fix and flip and or a burn method. You see what I'm saying? Like I keep going mm-hmm. on and on and on. Cause my brain is thinking like there's so many different industries. So I would just simply say, you know, whatever one that you're looking into, you know, um, get with a coach, get with a mentor and or you know, go to YouTube university and get the kindergarten steps of that exact, you know, process that you want to do, whether it's fix and flip or buy a multifamily and go from there.
0: Got it. Uh, give, me,
4: give, me, give me some numbers that you're considering. Numbers. Um, I agree. There's the real estate vernacular. There's so many different formulas. But it's a matter of the applicability of the formulas. You can learn them, understand what they mean, but when are they applicable to what you're looking at? You know, this business is definitely a science. And if you want to be, if you want to focus primarily on the sales side, you can get the sales license. You want to go into development side, you could either learn it through the school of hard knocks over time with true capital at risk. And just learning, and then, or you could be like my daughter who wants to invest my money. I told her first she has to go, <laughs> she has to go to school, so she can get her master's of real estate mm-hmm. science, which she's completing right now, um, to before she can actually start playing. Yes, sir. Um, with uh, with our money, um, but the again applicability is is very is key for me for going back to that person that's at fifty thousand um, dollars income plus or minus. Uh if if in their their early, they're in the early stages of real estate investment, I would tell them that, you know, to look at, you know, the return on investment. Okay. And what it means to one person may mean something different to another person. And even today, some of those same metrics I use, you know, thirty years later as to how I look at a deal. So if we you look at that return on investment, it could be a combination of what your cash on cash is. And so basically, you know, David, if you put $100,000 of capital in a deal, is it yielding you? You may say, look, I wanna have at least 10% made on my money, mm-hmm. all right? Because if you look at your portfolio where you have diversified investments, whether it's stocks and bonds, if this investment that you're going in at risk is not going to outperform, you know, what your financial advisor has been able to produce for you. Okay. With them doing all the work, then why yeah. <laughs> you might as well just take that hundred thousand dollars and put it, you know, give it to your investment advisor, financial advisor, and let them continue to get you 10 to 12% annually, despite the cycles in, in the, uh, in the financial market. All okay. right. So, So if you're averaging about 10% on your stocks and bonds, then why go invest in a deal that's probably going to return you maybe, you know, 8% or 7% on your money just because you just like the deal or you want to help somebody out. That's not a prudent investment. You may say, hey, but I'm more interested in this next deal here. Yeah. Okay. That's actually going to pay me 12% or 14% on my money. And at that point, you're like,
2: hmm, I
4: could make another 4% more, you know, 14000 on on $100,000 for a year, kind of like your deal in, in Jersey. You feel mm-hmm. me? That's right. I'm the bank. That, that, exactly. <laughs> you're the bank, and you're controlling your destiny here. And, and the worst thing that, the best thing that can happen for you, but the worst thing that can happen for the person who's investing is that halfway through it, yeah. they default, and you own the property, and you've been getting paid 14%. The whole time, yeah. I mean, you're really killing it. Not you're north of twenty percent return on this investment. I mean, so I don't
0: want that to happen.
4: But I had to protect myself. That's what Floyd Mayweather said. Always Protect <laughs> yourself. That's right. But, at yourself. all times. But we're talking about not real estate. Time. We're talking about real <laughs> estate investment here. We can't yeah. just talk about the upside. Yeah. We got to yeah. also talk about the downside. For sure. Because people really don't like to talk about that. Mm-hmm. But then I look at my multiple, what that exit value looks like. All right. So if I invested a hundred thousand dollars, and I think that the horizon on this investment is three years, two years, three years, four years. Can I get a one and a half, mm-hmm. or a two multiple, or a three multiple? Yeah. All right. So if it's a two multiple, I can put in a hundred grand, and three years from an exit standpoint, I can make another hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, man. I mean that's huge. That's that's almost an internal rate of return over about thirty something percent. Yeah. Okay. Right. So on an annual basis, so that my investment banker can't get that for me, can't guarantee for sure, for that. For so sure. I can actually control my own investment in that situation. Good. I think we have a caller, Lella.
5: Yes, we do have a caller. Welcome to Free Smoke, uh, Marcy. You are on live with David and all his friends.
0: Marcy, what's up? Marcy? Great. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. How are you? I'm great. Good. How can we help you? What's your question?
8: Okay, so um, I've been wanting to get into DC, um, Sorry, wholesaling for a while and, of course, um, procrastination, um, overanalyzing, so I've uh, that's kind of um, paralyzed me. But anyway, getting to the point where I am now, I think I found uh, what I believe is my little niche for finding motivated sellers. Um, again, as you guys are talking, how can you get into real estate with no money? And so for me, the research that I found has shown that wholesaling is kind of the best avenue for that. I also have done like been doing short term rentals, Airbnb properties for the past five years. So, what I like about that is that I don't have any commitment, um, with that, uh, you know, other than my lease, because I do it, uh, in a retail, sorry, uh, arbitrage method. So, um, I'm not buying and holding anything. So I like that. And that's what it attracts me to wholesaling as well. Um, it's kind of an influx of cash. So, what I've kind of come across lately is tax lien sales. And I've heard about it in the past, but more on the kind of buying whole. Um, hold, hold on one second. Uh,
0: so, I just wanted to, to check her. She's coming up with a question. Give her a second. Okay, she's, she's actually about to ask a All question, right, I'm
8: let's sure. Go. All right, yes, for it. sorry. So, so on the buy and wholesale side, um, but with tax liens, I thought about what about going to the tax sling And I'm, I'm in the DC area and I see so many of these properties going so quickly at, at a very low price. So I was like, what if I get on the side where the homeowner is, the property is already sold and go directly to the property owner, almost like a foreclosure list and try to get, um the property sold that way. Um, is that a good method? Um, the, I don't see any downside to that. I'm keeping the homeowner for prop- possibly losing their property and foreclosing as well as the investors still getting the property usually at a great rate because these these properties here I mean literally are going for ten thousand, but the ARV is six hundred thousand. Um, and I'm looking at a huge all right, list. All right, all right, all
0: right, all right. Okay, cool, cool. So your question is—I <laughs> mean,
8: it's crazy—and um, so I'm also sad for hold the on, community. On. Oh, right you, I'm right lo- okay, go ahead. <laughs> so your
0: question is—you finished my sentence. so my question
8: is—is this—is this a good? I don't see a downside, but for the experts, do you see this as a good wholesaling method to find like the motivated seller, as well as? you know, because the homeowner now at this point has probably lost their property and probably um, here is a six-month foreclosure where, uh, where in live? Florida realm. So I'm in D.C. and I'm also okay, from on, Florida, like here. Jacksonville. Hold on real Go cool. ahead. I got your back.
0: She wants to do tax sales and call the people before it goes to foreclosure, I believe. Is that a good strategy?
3: Just so we clear, we're giving informational information only? Yeah, just Please sure. Please do yeah. your due diligence. Okay.
1: Okay. Good. FTC
0: clearance. Yes. I
1: love this discla- this the disclaimer. Thank
0: you. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, what what are your thoughts on tax liens?
3: So, uh, um, I mean, it's a way to get started with real estate investing. Um, there are wholesalers who do wholesale Tax liens and tax deeds um, The downside would be If you're wholesaling um, Tax liens and tax deeds that don't have clear Titles um, and that You know you you guys don't go to an Appropriate title company and do The um, you know do the abstract To make sure that the titles are clear um, But it is a lucrative um, Business you can pick up You know um, tax deeds for
0: uh, Hold on how was it, wouldn't it be Cleared if the city is selling them nah, the that still selling? don't
3: mean it's clear that still no that does not mean it's clear they probably the city could have forgotten to give notice right because you got to give public notice whenever a property go through this process it mm. don't just be oh they take your property like you got to be advertised for a certain amount of time and the public got to have a certain amount of notice and if they miss one step in the process that is not in a um in a air come back and dispute that that is not a clear title anymore Mm. Right. So, yeah. So you want to make sure that you are doing your due diligence and making sure that the properties that you're buying is free and clear um, and that, you know, um, you know, um, I find there was a situation where someone purchased a tax lien property um, in my coaching program and they they thought that they owned the actual property Mm -hmm. and they they did not. Okay. They own the lien on the property, which means that the barriers still have a redemption period to come back and claim that property for a certain amount of time. Now they'll get paid the interest that's paid on that, you know, on whatever it is that is charged by the municipality. But in fact, they only have a lien position. They may not be in first lien position. They may be in fourth or fifth if there's all type of other liens in there. Yeah, so you want to make sure that you are doing your due diligence and that you are being able to, you know, transfer properties that have free and clear title. That would be my advice on tax lien and tax deeds and knowing the difference
4: between them. Yeah, great, great, great comeback there. And advice, I've actually been in that situation where we had a property, large multifamily property that had a tax abatement. Okay so it didn't pay any property taxes it was for seniors affordable housing and a lot of times these municipalities county or city parish they can make mistakes mm-hmm. so for the first you know 3 years of operation we didn't pay taxes because there was a tax abatement that was part of the subsidy that was structured in order for us to create this affordable housing and so we didn't know what happened but i guess sometimes there's change in management within the tax assessor's office mm-hmm. and they make a mistake. They started, they felt as though that, that they started assessing their property taxes, mm-hmm. but they were sending the notices to the wrong address mm-hmm. also. So we never received the notices. Okay. Until we were apprised of them putting it, you know, for sale on the courthouse step. Oh, wow. Yes, mm-hmm. of course we intervened immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and the good thing that happens is that when you do have um, a situation like that, all these law firms start sending you letters, mm-hmm. you know, how they could help you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's when we knew something must be wrong with yeah. this why, why are we getting these letters? Right. And yeah. then realized, you know, they made the call that guess what? Somebody, you know, had purchased, you know, the five on, on on our property and we're like we're not we're not we have a tax abatement we have clear letter our lender everybody you know knows that this property has a tax abatement yeah and basically they had made a mistake yeah and so therefore you know had some had we you know not seen these letters coming in from from these attorneys and there it would have been a situation where they would have sold the property, but yet they would have been at fault. We yep. still, they still wouldn't have gotten, you know, the property. Dang, so the almighty city makes mistakes. They It's do. crazy. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Did
0: I, did I help? Marcy, she's still on?
8: Yeah. Did, I did just I, had did I, did I one help? question when she, it, it did help. And, um, I move. wanted to ask Erica, I believe when she said, um, the, t- the title being clear, when you go, um, to a reputable title company, because I've worked with one before, do they not do all of that kind of research on like if all the liens that might be on the property? So as long as I get it to a reputable title company, they will be able to, you know, make sure it's clean and clear.
3: The most common lien that's missed is grass liens, right, Um, by the city and our county wherever you're at right like those are the ones we find as soon as we close they're coming and title companies it's it's a guy and our woman who's looking back at 30 years of records they're human they can make mistakes and um the ones that are are um the more obvious for us in the area that we in are the the lawn care liens that the city imposed on properties and so um Yeah. I mean, you can find a reputable title company, you know, um, and make, you know, and get a um, like a warranty to be able to protect yourself and make them go back and clear up the title. If somebody do file a claim against you, you know, that's a part of title insurance that you pay for. And, you know, of course, they'll be willing to do it. And then whoever owed that those lawn care liens, they you know, they would have to either pay for because they missed it and or they would, you know, have to deal with the city on it or some sort of like that. I hope that helps.
8: It helps so much. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Good, good. Good
0: question, good question. Um, I want to uh, jump into, do we have another caller yet? Yep. We don't have another
5: caller,
0: but okay. I have a question. What's up? Talk to us.
5: Okay, so, um, and...
0: It's coming. The salmon's coming. Um, the I'll tell right now.
5: The coming. Um, so we all know tax season is coming around the corner. Um what would be a good strategy for those who may receive a tax that a tax return refund that would could they could get started within the real estate industry?
3: Recap for me, I was distracted. The butterfly <laughs> flew <fruit> by. <body. laughs>
0: so people about to get their tax returns. Yeah. What kind of advice do you have? Because I mean, you're the queen of tax return investing because you mm-hmm. started with your five thousand dollar tax return. That's right. So,
3: um, let me tell you guys something. There are still properties out there dirt cheap. Like, for those of you who's just trying to get started, go look at mobile homes. I mean, they're letting them go dirt cheap right now. So, if you got a few thousand dollars and you want to get started, go find a few mobile homes you can buy. You know, um, I actually just got a notification um, that there was a mobile home that my daughter is buying right now. I mean, she has 28 doors, and she's buying another mobile home right now for um, $1,200. And, of course, she got to go move it and do all of that, but she's a about to make 600 bucks a month on that mobile home that she's about to move into her mobile home park that she invested into with mm. me so i think that you know if you have a i i'm sorry in, am i on that one is that the 28 unit uh no that park is full <laughs> 100 this is another good park. News. this That's is cool. So, news i yeah. like
0: occupied okay yeah, we're I'm, occupied. A, I'm an investor yeah. in a 28 unit mobile home park yeah, and they cut that check every quarter. That's right.
3: That's right. Um, but yeah, so you know, for those of you who are out there, you about to get some extra cash. Cash. If you go on Facebook, they give mobile homes away for free. People mm. say, just move it off my property. You can fix it up, do whatever you want. Dang. Just get it off. And if you got two or three thousand dollars and can pay a moving company to move it to a place that allows mobile homes, then now you in the rental business. You know, you go fix it up, connect the water and the sewage, and you're rocking and rolling. Everybody need a place to stay. It may not be pretty,
0: but everybody need a place to stay. I love that. I want to talk about the horror stories. <laughs> talk about the horror stories because I know you all. Are just astute, wealthy. Y'all understand the game of real estate in and out. Tell but they're, they're I got it. every day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear the horror stories, man. Where was the blind spot? What did you miss? How oh. how, how did it hurt? Talk to me. Who want Who want to start first?
1: Oh, I think everybody can start it. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. So we we would be remiss if we didn't share with you guys the challenges, horror stories, whatever label you want to assign to them. Um, God, we've got, we have so many, uh, in the eight years, a couple thousand loans that we've clinched. Um, God, um, so a couple of things, uh, horror stories. We've had some investors who all manipulate documentation to get a loan. Mm. Um, obviously that's a tra- That's a, that's a challenge. That's it's not illegal, the best right? thing. It's 100% illegal, essentially bank fraud.
0: Right. Um, fast forward, to the end. did anybody go to jail?
1: Uh, right. no, no one went to jail, okay. but it was essentially a civil case. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Let's just say challenges. Um, in addition to, we've had some horror stories where investors would just over leverage themselves. Um, when we first started, there were some investors that we they they looked great on paper. Everything looked good about them: experience, liquidity, credit. I mean, cre- debt is fairly simple to obtain, right? You check a couple of boxes: credit, experience, liquidity. Does a project make sense? But, you know, we were novices as far as how much of a loan to give to in one person. So we essentially have folks overextend themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, learned the hard way very quickly that when no matter how attractive someone looks on paper, they still can, be able, they still can overextend themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one investor that we lent monies to. And we, I think at one point in time, we had 13 loans out with him defaulted on 10. Oh, so how, how much was all that? It was a lot, out? it was it was a lot, uh, about four or five million dollars. Um, took us a couple of years to kind of work through that because that was not a fun day. And so mm-hmm. one of the things as, an, as a lender is we have to be very intentional about protecting our investors from themselves because hmm. sometimes investors will become, inv- investors by definition are ambitious people, yeah. right? They're ambitious because they've taken the time, the resources, the know-how to go out and really create something for themselves and their family. But sometimes we have to be able to curb that ambition and say, hey, look, you know what? You've got too much on your plate. It took us the first two years to really understand that. No matter how attractive someone looks on paper, you still want to manage that um, that relationship. Lending is a function of risk and leverage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what I mean by that is, on a lending side, we're trying to deploy as much capital as efficiently as we can. On the on the investor development side, they're trying to obtain, they're trying to leverage their resources, so therefore they can go out and acquire more properties. So we have there's this little dance that we have to keep doing. But yeah, that was definitely a challenge for us. Um, you know, and so we decided that we have a we have a number for renovation loans that we don't let folks go over, uh, because it just kind of allows for that. Um, then it happened,
0: much, but you got to acquire.
1: Yeah, we the have the properties back. back the properties back, but it's still the 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 fees that you have to now hire an attorney. Mm-hmm. You have to go through the process. You have to go through all those things to kind of recoup that. No lender wants to go into foreclosure. Yeah. Well, most lenders don't. Let me let me rephrase that. Most lenders do not want to because it's an expensive process, and lenders are not asset managers for the most part. We don't manage properties. We do not want those properties back. We will do everything in our power to try to help the borrower resolve whatever issue that they may have. Mm-hmm. Whether it's their delinquent, mm-hmm. whether they're about to default. Hey, what can we do? We have someone, we, ha- we get very creative. We have another investor who finds this project attractive. Would you be open to joining forces with them? So we gotta try to figure this out. Did you make money um, on this deal? Which one? No, 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 we lost. We lost a lot. And that's you part of it You take
0: the property and like sell them for cheaper than that? Yeah, ever. we sold oh. for
1: cheaper than that, but we still lost. Because it's the time value of money at that point. So obviously at some point but you're going to your the capital that you have in the deal is going to start to diminish because you've held on to that capital for longer than you needed to. Mm-hmm. So it's a wash. We lost money. And it's okay. It's you want to you want to make more than you lose, but things like that happen. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's definitely one of our biggest I guess horror stories because it was not a fun time going through it. Um, and but it did teach us one thing that investors Um, we have to be very responsible as to how much we lend to one specific investor at any point in time. Um, And we are very diligent, we are very intentional about the experience level of said investor. So when we lend monies, we want to, especially if it's like a commercial development project, we're looking at that investor's level of experience and we pay a lot of attention to that. Now when interest rates have risen. Um, a lot of lenders are very, they're even more discriminating as to who they lend monies to because those rates have risen. And they want to make sure that they're working with operators and developers that really understand how to kind of get these projects to the finish line. Got it.
0: Uh, well, let's go with Eddie because I heard the phrase <laughs> the, uh, the, the the bigger they are, the harder they fall. <laughs> it seems like you got a lot of risk in the game. But, well, I guess not a lot of year capital because you'd be coming up with money from. Why it's always capital? The, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always this. Give me your. Give me your the word is recent. leverage.
4: Here, leverage doesn't mean no capital of yours. Yeah. That means you're just getting a little bit more capital to put with your capital. Gotcha.
0: Give me your biggest L most recently.
4: Biggest L? Oh man, I can't say most recently. I. It's a function of time. Just going through the recession, when we went through. That was a major L. Um, anybody who was a player. In the real estate development industry, if they didn't take an L at some point, somehow, that was um, punitive, that hurt really bad, that means they weren't doing anything. So you don't take In Ls? In the great these times. times. You don't take we Ls? We do take these. Ls, but you said the biggest, the biggest was <laughs> surviving the the recession because Le- Le- it was consecu- consecutive years. Mm. So if people talk about the recession being 07, 08, no, for us, it went through 2013 yeah okay so that was like every year just imagine realizing that man i'm still in the l i still have (laughs) all these other threats out there that i haven't worked out with lenders you know we're trying to figure it out but yet you still have all the headwinds that are created with the recession to make it very difficult to still do deals so Uh thus, to me um it wasn't just one L it was a continuous you know set of L's all right (laughs) for many for multiple years um but what I would add to what Kenneth said is that um you know at the end of the day it's important to really um look at your partner you know um compatibility yeah who your partners are from a compatibility standpoint that's where you see a lot of repeat L's mm-hmm. take mm-hmm. place. A lot, of repeat, a lot of repeat L's take place with incompatibility between partners. Mm-hmm. Just because that person has the money that you, that, you, that you want them to invest in your deal, just because they're interested in your deal or you're interested in their deal, doesn't mean that they're the right partner yeah. you know, for you to, to work with. But give, me, give
0: me give me your loss I, I, I want people to know a lesson that you learned recently give me a, a lesson
4: loss. that I learned recently from a loss um really just a merger and acquisition mm-hmm. okay it would seem like the right um addition you know to our business um the right the, the diversification but at the same time it was incompatible as far as just the business um vision uh, the the approach mm-hmm. you know to managing the business and growing it, and even you know just some of the the ethos yeah then uh, between our company ethos and their company ethos it just yeah. did not it didn't mesh yeah. but could, did we actually do business and could make money? Yes, and we realized that if we actually want to grow this, mm-hmm. then at some point we would hit a point of resistance because of the fact that we were coming from two different, two different sets of, ex, uh, of expectations. Yeah. Got it. All right. Um, first off, how was the salmon? It's
0: so good. Yeah. Good, it? Yeah. Talk about my biggest
3: loss.
0: Okay. Talk, talk, talk to me. <laughs> talk to me. Oh, real quick. We want to shout out all of our super chats. Listen, every, Everybody who gives a super chat, we are taking a portion of the money and I am investing in youth entrepreneurs. We have our first school date, I want to say January 8th. Mm. January 8th will be at Martin Luther King High School. Now the kids don't know it, but we're bringing my successful entrepreneur friends to let them see how entrepreneurship looks, how entrepreneurship can work for them. And uh, we are going to be investing, hopefully there's a, a kid that we can invest in, uh, but we are investing your Super Chats into you. So, uh, shouts out, of course, to the real Elisa Applewhite. She's in the building, too, so she can ask a question whenever she wants to. Thanks for
2: um, the thank Super. Thank you for
0: all the Super Chats. Who else we got? Who else we got? We got Elisa Applewhite
5: we have let's let kids play podcast the activity playhouse gotta, What
0: up? thank you for putting the and around. then we
5: also have braids by joya bean thank you so much we greatly Dang. appreciate y'all support Appreciate Look, the love. y'all drop the super chats because they giving y'all all free game hit that like button because there's free. more than 100 of y'all but we only got 70 likes and i'm i'm not feeling that yeah.
2: <laughs> free all right hit here. that
5: like button and go ahead and text your questions in so that we can go ahead and get them answered for you because y'all got free game sitting right here on this couch. Absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. Also, shout out to So Icy. So Icy, the cheesesteaks are absolutely how guys, what's up? How we doing? Oh, they're good. Your authentic yeah. review? Mm-hmm. That salmon is good. All right, good. come on out real quick because we're actually uh, so we gonna get a we're gonna get a builder, but I'm gonna buy the building, don't worry, and I'm gonna give us a good rate. For rent, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. So uh so
0: yeah, can to tell everybody about the business. Uh what you got going on? on Zo, Zell, fix this camera. Right come
7: there. right here. I'm a little oh, new to this. Right we're a little new to this, but we from Zell, uh, right. come over here. Yeah,
2: face that way. Right there. Oh, all right, all right. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
7: Yeah, we from Philly. We do cheese steaks, water ice. Davis, helping us with our brand. Mm-hmm. Right now, uh we're in a ghost kitchen. Yep. it's my partner Swee mm-hmm. from Philly, so we authentic. That's the garlic, pepper, honey, salmon. You had to beef the chicken. Garlic,
0: pepper, honey, salmon, steak. Yeah. Goodness. That's the mommy back
2: Philly.
7: For sure. That's the that's the real deal. That's the real deal. Mm-hmm. The real deal. West, oh, everybody from West Philly.
1: Do y'all own any real estate?
7: No, we don't. No, we don't. Not so that's yet. that huh?
1: Not yet. Yeah, not, not yet. yet. Right. That,
7: that's right. something we was talking about, um, like getting the capital. So mm-hmm. we didn't really have the means to get the storefront, so the ghost kitchen was like another step. Mm -hmm. So the food industry, you know, you try to get your food truck and get your working capital but they give giving shark loans and interest in and yeah. different mm-hmm. things like that. So it's kind of hard. <laughs> hard money. <laughs> I do, yeah. We, do, I other hard. Than we <laughs> do other <laughs> loans in that. We do other loans. That's not <Sharp>. all, <laughs> all we do. Well, not? Oh, that's what, oh, you do working capital it's all Yeah. Work. No, well, <laughs> yeah. Look, maybe it's a we little We do better. way more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe it's a little better. But we had a food truck which was, which was seasonal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So having a seasonal business and not having that cash flow consistent, mm-hmm. that kind of will stop you and appeal you in the food truck industry and in trying to scale up. But. Um, this year, this is our first year in the Ghost Kitchen, and we did pretty well and grew pretty quickly. So now it's just about getting systems in place, getting around people like Dave, you, yourself, and learning the business. Because mm-hmm. if you know McDonald's, their business is real estate. It's not mm-hmm. even food anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So understand that. That's something that we need to learn about as 28-, 27-year-old entrepreneurs.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, so you got anything for me, man? Nah, man. He
2: pretty much covered.
0: everything. <laughs> oh, nah, that's what it is, man. We appreciate I, it, man. I appreciate
2: Sure. Hey, any extras this
0: oh, yeah. is not this is yep. not, not like a just a grab and run the extras no, I, is coming to my house okay yeah. they're coming to my home my wife <laughs> For said <sure>. "Yeah." <laughs> and said, hey, bring that and back. we're
7: located in Decatur 2670 yeah. East College Ave in Decatur
0: okay Hey, support and, uh, these brothers man yes, please, sir.
7: Appreciate
0: please. Sir. thank y'all mm-hmm. cool tea yeah the L's
7: the L's
3: Ooh. I would say my biggest L was building my portfolio with the wrong business partners. Mm. And for me, I lost quite a substantial amount of money. I had to, I would have been closer to probably 2,000 investments had everything went perfect. Mm-hmm. But it was at a season where, and I kind of talked about this on a podcast where, you know, Partnerships require certain responsibilities Mm -hmm. and you have to keep your responsibility up no matter what season you're going through. Like, I don't understand if your role is credit and, you know, funding and you can't provide credit or funding, then what is your role here? Mm -hmm. You know, and so for me, it got to a point where I was in a partnership, but it felt like I was doing all of the work and I was the only partner. And when I called it out, you know, you had, you know, the the housewives that came because a lot of my business partners are men. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you can't compete with pillow talk and. It ended, you know, with me saying, OK, the best thing for me to do is if I have to start back at zero and get rid of all of these partners, then I would definitely do that. So I am very conscious of who I go into business with. Even last night at the party, everybody was like, oh, oh, that's Terrica. She to go. She going to help you do this. Nah, nah, nah. if you want to learn, I can teach you through a coaching program, but you can't be my business partner. <laughs> I, you know what I'm saying? It, it's a certain type of human that can be my business partner. Cause I know how much I bring to the table.
2: Yeah.
3: And if that partnership is unequally yoked, one of the partners is going to start resenting each other and then it's just not going to be a great situation. Sure. And so I find, you know, my biggest haircuts in real estate has been choosing the wrong business partners to do JB deals with and different partnership deals with. And the other thing is knowing that these people are costing you x amount of dollars um but you keep them close because you're in business with someone that's close to you that's your friend or you know what i'm saying or y'all been best friends for so long or it's your cousin or uncle whatever it don't really matter but you know that they're not a good business partner but you keep justifying why they're not doing what they're doing and then before you know it you're starting to lose money and that's exactly what happened to me um and I also had another business partner who was supposed to oversee all of the property management and they wasn't sending out invoices. They wasn't managing the property correctly. And that was for me just trusting. Right. And and believing that you're going to do exactly what you're going to exactly what you said you were going to do because you're a partner. I shouldn't have to babysit you to make money entire entity. And so I think having those difficult conversations up front and having a clear understanding and making sure that your operating agreement is very clear and that it states exactly what the roles and responsibilities are it's extremely important and I had another deal where we had a cash call on a um, flip property and and it was because the property um, they removed the swimming pool and then we had a sinkhole mm. Mm. literally I thought the house was going under okay <laughs> like I ain't know what to do you know and so um, Hold on, you bought it
0: then they removed
3: the we removed the pool because it was all it was it was a bad pool. Yeah, um, mm. they had water going up underneath it. It was just a bad situation. Mm. It ended up causing when it came out, like the ground just went in. Mm-hmm. So that was not in the budget. So now we have a cash call, right? Mm. We can't go back to the bank and get no more money. We we have to figure this out internally. Mm. What well, a partner say? I don't have any more money. what do you do i mean i can't just let it sit yeah Yeah. i gotta i gotta do the deal so guess what now i gotta put more money in there this is me being naive i didn't know whenever you do a cash call and your partners don't contribute the same contribution then you have to renegotiate the terms of that operating agreement and that equity that is owned by that partner Mm -hmm. i didn't do that Because I didn't know that. I just put the money up to get through the process. Well, after I put the money up, we get the closing. Homeboy got amnesia. He forgot we had a sinkhole and we had to put more money in. Mm. So you know what happened? We had to go to court. Wow. Yeah. So guess what? I had to split it down the middle with him. Everything. Wow. So for me... I have had my share of bad partnerships and I and people think I'm acting funny. I'm not acting funny. I'm just educated now. Yeah. I understand what a bad partnership can do to you. Yeah. So I am very cautious of who I get into business with. And so if you're just getting into business with people you don't know, you better make sure that you have all your I's dotted and your T's crossed and make sure you have a witness or attorney, somebody that's reviewing everything you're going into business with because I had to learn at the hard way and it cost me, thousands of dollars that I did not have. And, but it was the best education that I ever mm. learned. I wouldn't have learned that no other type of way. And like I said, I, I was a hustler in my business for a long time. That's part of the hustling process, getting them haircuts, mm. not knowing all of those things. Mm. Um But
0: yeah. Every, every L is a lesson, man. Listen, um I, I think we've, I want y'all to throw it in the chat, man. What are your real estate goals for 2024? um I, I appreciate everybody coming out today man i know everybody's super busy but just giving people game giving people a vision of what their life could look like when they start leveraging their income man so um thank y'all listen we, we have any more calls good? no calls good all right so let's 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 close it out man please um if there's anything that we didn't cover that you think we should you wanted to discuss uh please just share that in our closing words and uh yeah, I start with you my brother.
4: Man, first I really would love to congratulate you know, my brother and sister here for their accomplishments. I know I've been in this business a little bit longer than them, but I have to underscore you know how challenging it is, you know, for especially for you know, black men and women to succeed in this business mm-hmm. despite what your beginnings were. Okay, into also make it through the recession, go through the different cycles that are going on in the, in the financial market. So I I couldn't spend a better early afternoon on a Friday sitting here um, with with you guys and talking about, you know, the business and sharing these nuggets with, you know, your audience. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, you have to really do, you know, your due diligence, Mm -hmm. due diligence of self, due diligence of the deal and due diligence of the partners that are investing with you. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you look at, we talked about wealth at the end of the day, it's not just the financial wealth as far as Kenneth said and Terika said, it's really to me when I look at wealth creation, I look at just my, um, my personal Um, you know, just how I show up as an individual as far as my life's balance sheet. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not the financial balance sheet that he reviews Mm -hmm. my life's balance sheet as far as, you know, how do I show up as an asset and how do I show up, you know, from a liability standpoint. And so how am I an asset, you know, to my family, um, to those who are associates in our company? Um, growing others, making the next, you know, millionaires. How do I show up to even my friends who Mm -hmm. want to invest with me or figure out how to invest into the real estate business, the community. And, um, even from a liability standpoint, not just how much debt do we have, but, um, but there, there's a correlation to your wealth based on how much debt you have. Also, nobody who's wealthy is debt free. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, um, so you got to take risk, you know, in order to get the, the high rewards, but also just the debt back to just community and society from a philanthropic standpoint, um, you know, just your success as far as sharing it to, you know, different concerns, different nonprofits, you know, that need the support. And so for me, my life balance sheet is what I look at, you know, from a wealth standpoint, not just the financial side. So, Sure.
0: Man, appreciate you, my brother. Um, how can they connect with you? How can they follow you uh, and just follow your journey?
4: Yeah, sure. I'm on Instagram, um, Eddie Benoit Jr. E D D Y, B E N O I T J R. Mm-hmm. But I'm also you could follow us on um, LinkedIn under Eddie Benoit. Um, you could pull me up, and lastly, you could follow us on Shape the Deal. That is Shape, um, S H A P E the Deal. Uh, so on YouTube where we have different shows that focus on the different facets and the dynamics of real estate development. And so um, we love to have you follow us and, and where we can drop some nuggets on some of those shows. Love it. Love it. Kenneth, talk to us, man. I'm nowhere to get that hard money.
1: Um, first of all, <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, God,
1: uh, David? I deserve it, I deserve it. David, <laughs> oh, yeah, get the hard
3: money from, David. <laughs> um, David's That's a
4: hard bad.
1: money lender too yeah. now. That, that is a hard bad. money lender. You are in our shoes. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for having us on, this, having me on the show and also having these wonderful folks on the show as well for us to have this dialogue that it is always needed and can never not be needed. I know it's a double negative, but that is what it says. Um, you know, I I I'm very optimistic about everything about especially with real estate investing. I have to be. I think all of us are. We know we we've, we've got some challenges we're going through right now. Uh, we'll get through it. It's just a matter, it's a moment in time. Um, it's something that we will have to just kind of work through as we have done, as we have done in so many occasions. Um, but you know, again, I I still am very optimistic about where we're heading um, on so many levels uh, with so many folks as well, with all the information, all the education. And now the fact that folks are very open and amenable to learning about real estate investing in a professional way, right? In a professional manner and understanding that there are Different facets and different avenues in which you can come to or introduce yourself into real estate. Um, to find me, I'm not really on social media. I know it's funny these days, but I am on LinkedIn. It's actually pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I'm on Instagram either. There's so many. I know, so I, I, I think I'm on ever, Instagram. So. I think I have an Instagram page. <laughs> It's just, there's so many to, to keep up with. Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Just type in Kenneth Igway. Um, I, there's only one of me, so it's a very unique last name. Uh, so love to have a conversation or discourse or about uh, you know, those things as well. Cool, cool. Appreciate it. All right, T. Yes, you are. You're an influencer now. So yeah, oh
3: <laughs> I will leave with this. Like, just understanding the importance of ownership. Like, ownership is your birthright. Um, I believe that everybody should experience ownership. I believe everybody should have ownership. I believe we should pass ownership. Um, and with that, you know, it is so easy to get caught up in these cute little quotes and things they post on TikTok and You know, YouTube and all these major influencers, you know, um, who we all love and respect. They have a lot of great advice. But at the end of the day, the people with the ownerships are the ones being called to the tables to have decisions um, to make decisions about things that's going on within your community. So if you're wondering why you don't have a voice, you're wondering why all these different things are taking place and you're not happy about it, you wondering why they keep placing liquor stores in your community and all of these things that's tearing down your communities, then the reason is because you have no ownership and they don't care about your opinion. And that's the God on his truth. And so I think it's important for you to understand When you accept the fact that you should have ownership, no matter what shape or form it comes in, you starting down the path of real estate investing and creating that ownership is going to change the trajectory of not just your life, but everybody that's attached to you. Because I made one decision to invest my $5,000 tax return, my children now have forever income if they handle it correctly. And now my great grandchildren is going to be able to have it because I was obedient with invest in my tax return. I have street signs named after my children. They have communities that's named after them. And all of that is possible because I own the roads. So ownership is important in all aspects. So if you can own anything, start with owning yourself and then your time
0: and your money. Let's see, you yes. actually, uh, January, you got a challenge coming up. I right? do. Challenge? Uh, the. Yes property challenge.com. I think it's just incredible. So I don't know if you all know, but she's like teaching people this real estate. Uh, and, and I'm a big, I'm a big advocate for it because, uh, she literally helped me build out my real estate portfolio and helped me make my first monies in real estate after getting burnt in real estate. Mm. So I'm always uh, wanting to promote uh, what she's done for me. And a lot of my friends now, a lot like a lot of influencers, she's like getting them uh, real estate deals, multi-units. It's really, really cool. So you want to talk about the challenge?
3: Yeah. So the um, five-day property challenge is five intensive days with me. And we're going to be breaking down mindset. We're going to be breaking down how to find deals, how to analyze, deals how to get funding for deals and then most importantly within those 5 days challenging you to be the very best version of yourself and being able to go to the next level the 5 day property challenge is for those who are new in real estate have experience in real estate and are just looking to scale into communities or developments whatever it is you're looking to get into we touch on all aspects during the 5 days and so um if you if you willing to go um on a date with me for 5 days you got to mm-hmm. be willing right we're going to go in, and I promise you I will not miss a day. We will, we will ride to the wheels, fall off, and um, help you with your ownership journey in 2024. Thepropertychallenge.com.
0: There it is. Check it out, y'all. Check it out. So listen, man, um, Nella, what's happening?
5: I how you just put it on, <laughs> just put it on me. First and foremost, y'all, make sure you go ahead and follow all of these amazing people. Drop some fire in the chat, drop some houses in the chat, whether it's a whole house or a crack house, whichever one. Drop it in the chat because they came and gave you guys the game. But of course, we got some stuff for y'all too, right? Make sure you go ahead and join the morning meetup, the morning meetup, the one and only community that is made for entrepreneurs. We meet every single Monday through Friday. 7.45 a.m., we got a book club, we got like-minded people, we have amazing speakers like the ones you see right here in this studio joining us almost every week, cause you know David gotta show up too, right? David shows up there and he's there every single morning too with us, getting all these gems, giving all the gems, and we all learn and grow together. But we have to ask you guys what conversations you wanna hear from us, all right? This isn't just about us, because you know I'm in here writing those too, but we want to make sure you guys are getting the gems that you want to receive as well. So drop in the comments what conversations you want to hear on this couch so that we can go ahead and provide that for you. David, take us out.
0: There it is. So listen, y'all, free smoke. We are giving free information midday. Listen, y'all at work right now, we start at 12 o'clock around your lunch break. I want you to... Go on your lunch break and watch us while you're there because you're going to come back with a new attitude, not an attitude of disgust for your job. Okay But you're going to be Inspired and motivated To go do something special Okay You will not be there forever Unless you want to be But you need to learn The game On how to build wealth And how to become successful In whatever it is You want to do So uh, We love you all Make sure you subscribe Make sure you join Our membership We're dropping content As a member You can Look look on the channel You can see Join A couple different levels Again Money goes to Assisting youth entrepreneurs uh, In their journey so that they too can be the ones that rule the world financially. Okay, we got to teach them young. We got to teach them young. So we are investing in the next generation of entrepreneurs, um, and the people that we're investing in now—you never know; those will be the people that will assist your kids. Okay, so be a member, man. Whatever donation you have works, um, and we'll see you next week.
1: Peace. Free
8: smoke, free smoke. Awesome.
1: All right.
6: Awesome.
0: Would you go? I was going to ask a
2: question.
6: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator